0: Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sophia. And I'm Zoe. And welcome
1: to Every RomCom, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedy seriously. This week on Every RomCom, we'll spend a few hours in Paris with Jesse and Celine and recommend some other great Parisian sites.
2: We'll talk about the nature of memory, fate versus free will, the ethics of infidelity, and what intimacy-building conversations look like in real life.
0: And we'll explore the careers of the multi-talented creators Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy as we discuss the 2004 sequel to Before Sunrise, Before Sunset. Hello, guys! Hi, hi! How's everybody? And, um, well, we were just talking about before this. You guys were talking about Mercury retrograde and eclipses, and so I don't weird, know how is everybody space weather
2: weird. Space weather out there.
1: <laughs> I'm feeling it. I think I feel it. Yeah, it, 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 just so intensely, and I don't even I don't even know like I because I'm just so up and down, and the weather mm. here has been up and down. Has it been in Wisconsin?
0: Jen oh it's same. really it's it's like second like winter or early fall but i'm I'm digging it i like this cold rain energy yeah and yeah but um the full the full moon was recently too and i have not been able to sleep on full moons in the last like five months or so so that's fun <laughs> wow. yeah it's really weird like i'll have terrible insomnia specifically on the full moons yeah but it's okay yeah wow and Zoe, like, welcome back. Like I was joking with yeah. you before that you have been kidnapped
2: by a podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> and well, a really, movie series. yeah. Thank you for having me back. It was really fun last time. And I forced myself to watch another movie that I really wanted to see.
1: <laughs> nice. This was your first time watching it, right? It was, yeah. Oh, oh I'm so excited to hear your thoughts as a first-time watcher. Mm-hmm. Um, yay. <laughs>
0: So I had um, one question that mm-hmm. I prepared for also for our little intro section here. So there's a lot of references to music in this, in this particular movie, in my opinion, and references to songs that, re- and in the way they relate to memory. So I was wondering, are there any songs that have very charged memories for you, like in relation to love or in relation to anything else, that songs that would take you to different times, maybe?
1: I mean, I said that I have, I have certain things, that, not so much about love, but just certain time periods. There's um, a whole album that I listened to uh, when I studied abroad in London in college, and then I've, I haven't listened to it since. What I is about it? it? What's the album? Um, it's... Uh... No, I forgot the artist's name. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Forgot right now. <laughs> is it like
0: what genre? Like, like if, is it... It's kind of like, like, you, like you- a... F-
1: like a folky sound a, a male uh artist um i forgot his name <laughs> <laughs> so there you go but i have i wasn't able to listen to it and i just never tried again because it because it's painful in some way or uh, like... I, it, mm, I don't yeah maybe i just don't want to think so much about and yet there are other albums that i listen to you know this was back in the day with disc disc men you know so i brought like mm-hmm. 10 albums with me and listened to them over and over again for 4 months and i can listen to the other ones but just not that one
2: i i feel like there's definitely songs that can bring me back to certain places I've never Mm. felt like the I have to avoid this song or this album because it's too painful. Mm. We're I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a little later in terms of like memories, like not being finished. But I think that's Mm. how I feel about Mm. music. Like I can build as long as it's something that I still like, I can have multiple things, you know, that that it reminds me of without it really bothering me. It's like okay, there's there's definitely. Now, of course, I'm blanking on what they might be, but I feel like it's true that there are songs that I have, like, more than one memory attached to, and I can just keep attaching. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, and for me,
0: um, like I was thinking about this and I was thinking about there's a song, Does Your Mother Know from ABBA, which is a kind of random song, but it, like reminds me of, it reminds me of two different boyfriends though, but it's a really random song to remind me of boyfriends. <laughs> like, the song's kind of about like a really older guy and a younger girl who's like crushing on him, which was not the situation in either case. <laughs> but like, it reminds me of my first boyfriend, Trike because I was listening to ABBA all the time when we were yes, together. girl, I remember that. <laughs> And then it, but then it reminds me of this guy, Tim, that I dated in Portland too, because after karaoke, we'd like, it'd be really late and we'd be driving around in Portland around like the Joan of Arc statue roundabout. And we'd always be singing songs together. And that was one of the songs we would sing together. And like, he would do this thing because it was so late at night where he'd just keep driving and driving around the roundabout. So I have a very specific memory of singing that song while driving around the roundabout, probably Mm -hmm. others too. But it's like, it's now attached to like two different relationships I had and yeah and then lee and i we have a song but i don't remember actually listening to it much together we just sort of decided it was our song yeah like such great heights by the postal service because we kind of felt like it described the situation we were in like how elated we were and how everybody else thought our relationship was a little crazy i think like people we are like yeah i don't know that's funny
1: <laughs> anyway greg and i assigned a song for us too. um Smashing Pumpkins tonight, tonight. Yeah, that's that's a good one. "Quote unquote" our song. I've never had like a song that seems stressful to me to just (laughs) pick one. I I don't. It's not my style. (laughs) Uh, Well, the funny thing about that is that for Greg and I, we we don't mostly like the same kind of music. He thinks most of my music is like, what are you listening to? So we can agree on Smashing Pumpkins you two and johnny cash and so um that's those are the three we can agree on
0: yeah with lee and i it was more that like that album had just come out like right before we like met each other so it was like in the first flush of us just being into each other there was that album and yeah i Mm -hmm. i I, but i it's weird though because like we must have just decided like like intellectually instead of it happening naturally it's better if it happens organically i think but People don't go to as many dances as they used to, you know. I think that's the way people Aww. used to get our song. They would go to like a dance together or something, and it would play.
1: <gasps> oh, you're probably right. How sweet!
0: <laughs> I think I think that's what it comes from, right? Social dances used to be more of a thing, so yeah,
1: yeah. Aww, social dances Some so romantic.
0: Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, before we get started today with Before Sunset, we want to give you a few reminders as usual. So the first section of the show will be spoiler free and we will give you a warning when we're about to discuss spoilers. And we will also in the spoiler section, we will not spoil the sequel to Before Sunset, Before Midnight. However, throughout this entire episode, we will likely be spoiling before sunrise, the movie that came before before sunset. So, <laughs> I don't know why you would listen to this episode if you hadn't seen before sunrise, but
1: you know, <laughs> just be warned. Okay, we'd like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at every pod, And
0: just like usual, you can find the podcast at EveryRomCom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at EveryRomCom.com. And if you like what you hear, I will say again, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And today, I'd like to call, like, make a special like uh, plea with some of our regular listeners to please just take a couple minutes and leave a review for us because it really does make a difference on Apple Podcasts. And I know that some of you listen every week because you'll tell me about it, but tell mm-hmm.
1: tell Apple Podcasts about it too so other people can know. Thank and you. I'll say I did that for another friend's podcast, and it wasn't hard. it wasn't hard to do usually I'm like oh I don't know if I put it in am I going to have to like then I don't know be directed to other pages and is it going to save or whatever and it was super easy to do so I just want to put it out there if you're intimidated the way I usually am about leaving comments so
0: anyway thanks for listening and now we're going to listen to a little bit of the trailer to Before Sunset
3: Nine years ago two strangers met by chance and spent a night in Vienna that ended before sunrise. They are about to meet for the first time since.
4: Hi. Hey. Hello. I, I, mean, I can't believe you're here. Well, I live here in Paris. I wanted to talk to you for so long. You know, oh, then yeah, now me too. How long do we have? Twenty minutes and thirty seconds. No,
5: Let's
3: we've got, go. We got more than that. Now they have one afternoon. To find out if they belong
4: together. I remember that night better than I do entire years. Do you look any different? I do. I'd have to see you naked. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Let's get on that boat. Come on, it'll be fun. You don't have time. Oh, God. Why don't we exchange phone numbers and stuff? Why don't we do that? The past is the past. It was meant to be that way. Well, You really believe that? I have these dreams. I'm in the car and a buddy of mine is driving me downtown and I'm staring out the window and I think I see you. What does it mean, the right man? The love of your life? The concept is absurd. The idea that we can only be complete with another person is evil, right? I'm just happy to see you, even if you've become an angry, manic-depressive activist. I still like you. I still enjoy being around you. If somebody were to touch me, I would dissolve into molecules. Let me see if you stay together or if you dissolve into molecules.
3: What am I doing? What if you had a second chance with the one that got away?
0: Mm. Oh, these move these trailers with the voiceover guy, they Definitely. always make things seem cheesier than they are, but totally what? that guy, that voice.
1: <laughs> I think there's a couple of them, actually. Like, I somewhere I Saw or watched, or I don't know, got went down a YouTube rabbit hole or whatever. And I think there's a a couple voices, like oh yeah, a there's a couple different actors, who, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who does but things. boy, they sound very similar. There, and they there's they a do movie, the job.
0: yeah, there's a movie with Lake Bell called In a World about a woman who does those oh, voiceovers too, which is
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I really want to shout out the song in the trailer before I forget because it's I love that song. It's Ivy the edge of the ocean. And I used to put that on every mixtape. I still made mixtapes at this time period. I put it on every mixtape I made during that time period. So I love that song, even though it's not in the movie, which usually I complain about, but Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good fit. I think Mm -hmm. it's a really good fit for this trailer. I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, it was real dreamy and added to the, it added to the vibe of the whole thing.
2: It, it actually especially stood out to me as not having been in the movie, maybe because I <laughs> right. saw it so recently. But I, I was like, oh, it's another one of those songs.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'll make an exception for this one because I love that song so much. And it really reminds me of that time period as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so the time period was 2004, when Before Sunset came out. It's directed again by Richard Linklater. And it was written by Richard Linklater, And this time, Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke, the main actors. And there's still a credit for story and characters by Richard Linklater and Kim Krasan. And uh, yes, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And a few interesting facts about it. It was nominated for the Best Screenplay Oscar. Uh, The movie itself was shot in only 15 days. And not only that, they were shooting it really only in the afternoon and early evening because they wanted to get the right light. Mm-hmm. So the actors really had to be prepared uh, and some to do things really perfectly. And the movie cost 2.7 million to make and ended up grossing 16 million. And a notable fact it, it the film basically takes place in real time and has really long takes. Uh, another thing about this movie that's interesting is in the actors' personal lives. So at this point in his life, Ethan Hawke was separated from his wife, Uma Thurman in 2003 And they ended up divorcing in 2005. So he was making the movie just in the middle of all that. And he told The Guardian in a 2019 interview that reuniting for Sunset was extremely healing. So, Mm. yeah, he was personally going through a lot of pain. But in the movie, you know, it doesn't really show, I don't think.
1: Mm -mm. I am hung up on and amazed by um, the fact that it was filmed in 15 days with that very specific short window of time yeah. every day. Um I went in a little bit further to Richard Linklater's background because I really didn't, you know, with these movies it's always been like, oh yeah, I love his films and like I've left it at that, but I'm like, yeah, let me let me look a little bit further and he does a lot of rehearsal time. He's kind of known for that 2 mm-hmm. or 3 weeks before filming doing a real rehearsal and um it seems like that's where he also uh fine tunes the script like he has yeah. one when they're ready to go but then he as the actors rehearse you know they tweak dialogue and and he's and he's good with that it just was r- just a really cool process and i really um have more of an appreciation for him as a filmmaker as an artist and all that and um was just yeah. very cool definitely
0: yeah, and we talked um, more about writer-director Richard Linklater last week um, on the Before Sunrise show. We also talked about writer Kim Krasan in the last episode. So if you want to hear more about their careers, check out the Before Sunrise episode. Um, because this week, we're taking time to focus on the lead actors and co-writers, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And Sophia has a lot to tell us about one of her
1: favorites. I think he, I can say he's one of your favorites, right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Hawk,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, just to say that later on, Jen quotes an article from uh, L um, and it starts off with for the Gen X woman, Ethan Hawke, such and I'm like, that's it. That's it. He I was, uh, you know, I was 17, 15, 16, 17 when I first started seeing him in movies. And he just I think when we talk about a song that takes us back to something, I think this particular actor you know, takes me back to that age and I and I like it and it makes me happy. <laughs> so I'm a big, a big fan. Um, and he was born in Austin, Texas. Also want to add that um, Ladder is from Houston, Texas. And I think for both of these artists, that comes back in their writing and in their characters and things like that. I also have to say his accent,
2: Ethan Hawke's accent was coming out in this movie and it was oh. very adorable. I definitely heard a little twang
1: as yeah. a southerner. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It comes out, and I, I love that. And his character, Jesse, is from Texas. Right. Okay, IMDb, you know how it will list, you know, somebody's what they're known for. So Ethan Hawk is known for the top four were um, Training Day and um, the Before Trilogy, which I thought was kind of telling and all that um, but yet if I counted correctly he has 83 acting credits to his name he has 7 um, credits as a writer 6 credits as a director 5 credits as a producer and 6 credits um, for soundtracks I certainly remember from you know uh, Reality Bites hey that's my bike <laughs> <laughs> oh god i have forgotten about his musical uh, stylings and that <laughs> I remember. Okay. So he was nominated for four uh, Academy Awards, um, best supporting actor for training day and boyhood, and then best writing adaptation screenplay for before sunset and midnight. And that would be along with Julie Delpy and Mm -hmm. Richard Linklater.
0: And Kim Kruzan for story and
1: characters. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So before the before movies, he was best known for dead poet society, White Fang, Midnight Clear, and Reality Bites. Did you, you see are- White Fang? By the way, did you yes, see I that did. one? I yeah.
0: did. He, he was cute in that too. I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw all of those for sure. I saw all of those movies. I, I wasn't like crushing on him like the way you seem to have been, but like I, <laughs> did, but I did still watch all his movies. No, I was always into older men when I was younger. It was like Gary Oldman and Daniel Day Lewis for me. But yeah,
1: yeah, you, yeah, yeah. That's Daniel 20, Day Lewis. <laughs> well, man, I'm on oh, board well. that train. <laughs> come on he's some kind of legend man he's he's unbelievable um so okay in between sunrise and sunset uh he did gattaca great expectations hamlet and training day and he met uma thurman in in 97 working on gattaca so did you guys see any of those
0: all of them i think yeah no wait i didn't see training day yet i need to see that movie yeah
2: the only one of these movies that I've seen is Dead Poets Society.
0: <laughs> Dude, you haven't seen Reality Bites, either. No. Oh, my God. Whoa. Okay, sorry. You, like, you complained that people do this to you. I'm not going to do this to you. I'm sorry. I'll it's
2: not off. really a complaint. It's just like a fact of my existence. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Like, I remember these movies coming out. I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies until I was mm-hmm. 17.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, then, wow. So, Yeah. I was watching them when I was like six because my dad wanted to watch his movies on TV. So I just was there.
1: (laughs) Right? Oh, I'm telling you, it's true. The stuff we watched because there was the grownups wanted to watch television and they wanted to watch their stuff. There was nothing else. I was thinking about that, that there's so much kid content now that my daughter has no interest in all these films that I was watching at her age that were not cartoons and stuff like that. I'm like, please, there's. Space Camp was awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, like yeah, like you, like we said before, though, so much kid content and also multiple TVs and devices to watch it on. Like, if you grew up in a house with like one television, it was like you were out of luck if you were a kid and you want, like, you're gonna, you can watch your kid stuff sometimes on Saturday mornings or
1: whatever or right after school, but other than that, it's mom and dad time. (laughs) I wanted to go back to that because I feel like my daughter's like film education (laughs) is crap and i'm like this is this is terrible
2: <laughs> this oh there's right. i think there's time i mean i don't i didn't get to watch yes. rated r movies but like my the tv was adult tv so i watched um mm. china beach do you remember that show holy Heard cow it, yeah i remember it. that
1: one
2: yeah I, I watched china beach when i was like 6 it was about like medics in the korean war or the vietnam war it yeah. was not for children <laughs> no it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: Guys, we got to roll it back, though, a little Sorry. bit. Oh, no. Sorry. Oh, we tangented. Okay. <laughs> back to back to these films. Okay, I've never seen Gattaca. I've seen Great Expectations. I don't think I ever saw his Hamlet, and I didn't see Training Day. You guys, I don't want to see Denzel Washington as a bad guy.
0: Oh, man. No, he's a great actor, though. I love to
1: watch him do whatever. I know. Whatever. He's a great actor, but not. I don't want to be a bad yeah. guy. I hate yeah. bad guys. Oh right and some uh, after sunset highlights he did before midnight the purge I don't remember yeah he was in the first
0: purge movie yeah it was a little bit of what that is oh oh
1: my gosh those are those horror movies so
0: like they're horror dystopia movies about like um, the government makes it legal one night a year to like break any law you want I don't know I think it might be like a population control means or like a way for people to get out their rage or to reduce crime it's a really weird conceit but like, uh-huh. yeah, there's a series of these movies, and he was in like the first one where like a family is under attack by you know marauders or whatever. So, yeah, wild.
1: Wow. Not They're understand. kind of a guilty pleasure. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, you uh, know, Boyhood, First Reform, and in 2020, this looks amazing. The Good Lord Bird. It's a mini series. Um, it looks fantastic. I, I wish I could had access to it. Yeah, and that's about John Brown, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, wow. sent me down a rabbit hole of like, what? What's going on here? That was really fascinating and very cool. Yeah, um, and his daughters in it too. Oh, is Met Maya- hawk in that? Okay. Maya's in it. Oh, you know who else is in it? Steve Zahn, which I love because they mm-hmm. were they are buddies and they work together. You know, in Reality Bites, and um, the boy who was in Boyhood is also in it. Okay. His... I love Maya Hawk.
0: I'll just say I think she's gonna have a fantastic career just her work in stranger things and and once upon a time in Hollywood, as small a part as that was alone, like I think she's gonna have a great career.
1: Cool. That's anyway. wonderful. Okay. so some of my Hawk faves are, you know dead poets, reality bites, uh, great expectations. He was on alias. Do you get did you guys watch Alias? I never watched that show. no so <laughs> into alias and he shows up <laughs> twice as the same character. And then the before trilogy. So, okay. In his theater, he's done tons of theater. He's had some nominations. He won an OB in 2011 for performance in a play called Blood from a Stone, written by first-time director Tom, and I think it's pronounced Nohilly. It's spelled that way, N-O-H-I-L-L-Y. And... You know, his other works have been like Tom Stoppard and a lot of Sam Shepard and um, Shakespeare and things like this. But what I specifically love about this is that it's a new playwright, a first time playwright, Mm. you know. Um, So he does that heavy classical stuff and, you know, gives a chance to a new playwright as well. I really enjoy Mm. that. Oh, and he's an author and I've read two of his books and I own. (laughs) So I read The Hot Estate. Uh, when i first moved to new york but that was published in 96 um ash wednesday oh girls i've got a story so i just <laughs> was brand new to new york it was like it was the summertime and f- saw in who knows what timeout or something like that he was doing a book reading at the barnes and noble in union square for ash wednesday and i totally made my friends come like we're going to this one girls (laughs) and so we were there and we you know he did his read from his chapter whatever and then you know I waited in line and I have the signed book still on my bookshelf and um do you remember remember. like talking to him or anything or did it just like blur it was very much like a you handed him the book he signed it thank you and off you went and um, you didn't get to ask a question
0: or say I love your book so much or anything like that it was just very quick
1: I or, like didn't. I spend mean, the I... afternoon
2: gallivanting around the town with him. <laughs> <don't
1: know> <laughs> okay, no, this is great. This could, this could. Okay, I, was, I wasn't going to share. it. I'm like, we don't have time for this story, but I'm telling it, and you can cut it later if you want to. But part of that, like, I'm like living my life. I'm on my own now in New York City and making it happen. And we we just done this book reading and signing, and then I don't know uh, how long later, a week or so later, I was at. I was going to look it up and I forgot it was something like the film cafe or something with a couple of my coworkers having a drink and we're sitting in the window and you know, these people walk out and I look out the window and the guy looks back and it was Ethan Hawke and whoa. And I was like, hi. no, I didn't say that because you, you got to be cool. You've got yeah. to be cool, yeah. especially yeah. in New York. If you live there and you see famous people, you're like, whatever. But inside you're like, what? I just bumped into so-and-so. So anyway, um, that was cool. That was a fun, like you live in New York now. So if, and you just had like mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke, you know, mm-hmm. look at you and, you know, <laughs> mo- whatever. He probably couldn't see through like a dark window. Who knows? But that was fun for me. That was a great moment.
0: Wait, let me put in. So I read also like some interview with him that he has, Ethan Hawke has this like mystique about him, right? So he said uh-huh. he had to like end dates before, like because people would be on a date with him and say, oh, this is yes. just like before sunrise.
1: <laughs> yes, I read that article too. <laughs>
0: So yeah, celebrities have a weird life. They have a weird, oh, like, life. That weird does, life. That sounds terrible. But you know what? If I were an actor and people said that to me, I don't know if I would end the date. Honestly, like I feel like that's you know you, you would almost be flattered in a way. Like uh,
2: you might. How set many them, times? Might would that have to them, happen.
0: Yeah, but though. I might set them. I might set them straight about it. Sure, and just be like, look, like I'm not that
1: character. Like, and I don't want to be looked at that way. But I don't think I would just end the date. Usually, I don't know. That's me. I guess. I guess it would depend if you were into the person or not. Like you wanted to give this person more time, but if you were like, okay, I don't need to continue. I think, I think it's just human
0: nature to have projections about people, whether, and when they're famous, I think that can become even harder not to have projections about people. So
2: for sure. But but maybe you want to date someone that, that knows not to say it out loud, even if they're thinking, I guess, I guess. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I guess I don't care about if people are effusive. I, I find that charming.
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway. When I worked at the drama bookshop and being hired, it's like we get a lot of famous people here and you you can't be like, I love your work. Like, you gotta be cool. And yeah. so that was it. And, you know, I waited on Bette Midler twice and had oh, wow. to be like, sure, whatever. It's the librettos are over here. But inside I'm like, it's you! <laughs> there you are, Bette Midler. So many times I had to just be yeah. like, yeah, you, I don't. You know, whatever. Anyway, um, there's a he wrote. Let's see. We were back to that. Uh, rules for a night. Um, and then okay, a graphic novel. I nice. don't know how to pronounce it. And I forgot to look up how to pronounce it, but it's spelled I N D E H, and it's um about a Native American. I just think that's really cool. And a new one that came out, a bright ray of darkness. So way to go. I just, you know, as we'll see with Julie Delpy, multifaceted artists. Yeah. So yeah. um, On to Julie Delpy. So,
0: uh, in the last episode, I talked about how when I first saw Before Sunrise, like I was kind of annoyed because I'm like, oh, here's a guy who's really into this beautiful girl. And like, you know, like I think there's a tendency to underestimate women who are very beautiful. And I had fallen victim to that as well. But Julie Delpy, in fact, is just a ridiculously smart and talented artist in several ways. So she was born in Paris and her parents are Albert Delpy and Marie Pierre, And they appear in Before Sunset near the end of the movie. And they they themselves are actors and directors, I think, mostly in theater. And they've also appeared in a couple of her other movies. So that's cool. Uh, Delpy had her first acting role at nine. And she had a lot of credits before Before Sunrise. So she had been in a Godard film. Uh, She was in Krzysztof Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogy. She was in this uh, film Europa, Europa, which was uh, set in World War II Europe. Before Sunrise was kind of her, you know, big breakout movie, though, that introduced her to, like, wider, more general audiences and not these, like, just uh, European audiences of with very sophisticated tastes. And she moved to New York in 1990. Later, she moved to L.A. Uh, she's a U.S. citizen, uh, but she also retains dual citizenship in France, which I think is smart, <laughs> like – I don't know why you'd want to lose that. So, um, so after before sunrise in 2001, she and Ethan Hawke actually appeared very briefly in link ladders, sort of animated film, waking life as mm-hmm. Jesse and Celine. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually, I can't actually remember what they talked about, but
1: that's I, okay. I kind of do you find
0: the clip. You can find the clip online on YouTube, basically. Did you want to talk about Sophia? I don't well, think. just it's that I think it's, related. it's,
1: it, uh it's like not not canon in the jesse and celine story in the trilogy like it's they're they're like together and they're in bed and it's i think they're in the states i think it's like an alternate reality like uh, richard
0: linkletter likes to deal in alternate reality alternate realities perfect yeah then that makes total sense so beyond being an actress um Delpy is also a writer, director, and producer, and she usually stars in her own films as well. And she does some of the soundtrack and composition work as well. So she has 10 directing credits in total. She first directed a short in 1995. Her first feature was in 2002. And um, her better known features include... So first of all, there are these two movies called Two Days in Paris and Two Days in New York, and those are kind of similar in some ways to the Before trilogy because they're about relationships. They're mostly involving dialogue between the people in the relationships, although they also involve interactions with her family. Uh, uh, her character. I can't remember what her character's name is, but her character's family, who are played by her real parents, which is awesome. And Two Days in Paris is with Adam Goldberg, and I guess they dated for a while. That came out in 2007. And weirdly he played man sleeping on a train in Sunrise. Before yep. Sunrise I just found out. So Adam Goldberg was actually in that movie. Maybe like 2 Days in Paris is when she got off the train with Adam Goldberg instead. He <laughs> was like away. Really, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um yeah, Jesse missed his chance altogether cuz uh, Adam Goldberg hadn't taken taken a nap. And then um 2 Days in New York is in 2012. It has the same character but the, now she's with Chris Rock in that movie. And then she's also written and directed other movies. Like she did a Gothic horror called the countess, which is about the life of Elizabeth Batory, the woman who bathed herself in blood to appear young. (laughs) So that's a departure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But she tries to kind of like um, complicate that history a little bit, complicate that story. It's kind of like a biopic dealing with a myth basically. Cool. Anyway, she has also done, uh, she's written a romantic comedy called Lolo, which came out in 2015. It's a French movie. And recently she did a movie called My, I think it's called My Zoe, but there's no umlaut. Like it's about a woman and her daughter from 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, currently she's in post-production as a writer, director, and actor on a TV comedy called On the Verge. So be on the lookout for that. And like I mentioned, she has soundtrack credits and composer credits. She released an album at one time called Julie Delby in 2003. And three tracks from that album are in Before Sunset. And final nerdy gen thing I'm required to talk about if people appear in the MCU, which she does. She appears as Madam B, a trainer of assassins uh, to Black Widow's character in Avengers Age of Ultron. I just I had to say it. I had to talk. Yeah. about Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome.
3: I'm
4: so glad you did.
0: So, so, OK, so moving on to just before sunset then. Um, well, we know when Zoe first saw this movie, so <laughs> we'll get that out of the way. You, so, you first saw this movie on what day, Zoe? Like- oh, Wednesday Wednesday night. <laughs> uh, yes. Wednesday. And we are now on Friday morning. Yes, so. less than 48 hours ago. Um, so you still, have a, you still have a fresh and unspoiled perspective. And That's right. Sophia, when did
1: you first see this movie? Do you know? Yeah, sure do. So I think in the last um, podcast, I talked about a friend who dressed, who had a similar outfit what Celine is wearing around vienna so my friend when she studied in france she got like a long dress and had a flannel and because you know she loves the movie too and wanted to be that way so that friend kate um has kind of been my um my before trilogy kindred spirit so we watched this together at the movie theater strangely
0: i have no memory of when i first saw this movie i am pretty sure i saw it close to the time it came out but like it came out in July, late July of 2004. And like, yeah, like that Mm. time Lee and I had been, had just broken up. Like we had this period where we were together and then we were broken up. And that was during that period. And like, it's interesting because it's such a romantic movie. And now in retrospect, because it came out in 2004, I really relate it to getting together with Lee, but when it actually came out, we were not together. So Mm. it's, yeah. And I don't remember when I first saw it, but I remember liking it, but I liked it a lot more when I rewatched it. Um, I rewatched it a few months ago before we were even planning to do it for the show. And I loved it then. And I loved it more, I think. I, and I think it's f- probably because I'm older. I don't know. And, it, and and I've seen so many subsequent movies. And there have been no movies, I think, that have captured certain things the way this movie does. Like Especially like things like the flow of conversation and mm. um, how organic it is in terms of how the characters are coming together. Anyway, mm. we'll talk more about that later.
3: Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. I just – I didn't have any I, – I sort of knew some some spoilers about this movie when I saw it, but I wasn't expecting to like it better than Before Sunrise, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is – like, I just loved it so much more. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. that. I wasn't expecting to. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I definitely loved it more than Before Sunrise, but, like, I think now that we've podcasted on Before Sunrise, like – it's, I can't almost not choose now because before Sunrise had so many little secrets that were, I was able to, to ferret out. And yes. I don't know if I found as many secrets in this one, but I still
2: think it holds up. Mm. Yes. Maybe it's just because I didn't really have expectations that I was like just kind of blown yeah, away by yeah, this one. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, and Sophia, have you had, what are your, have you been impressions of this movie over the years? Like, where, did you rank it above or below before Sunrise? Did you even think about it that way?
1: You know, Kind of, Um I, de- gosh, when I saw it, I mean, it was like, we were waiting, we were waiting nine years for this to see <laughs> these two again. And so the whole thing, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, in remember remembering lines when he's like, oh my gosh, it's been nine years. Can you believe it? And like, why didn't we, you know, all of that, that whole, that whole bit. Um, so I, I have to remember that like, I was like 24 You know, and that's about how old they were and before sunrise. But now Mm. it's been nine years, and they're in their thirties. But now I'm twenty four. You know what I mean? At Mm. one point,
0: she's like, talks like it's a nightmare to be thirty
1: two, and I'm laughing at her.
0: I know. "Ah." I'm like, man,
1: thirty two is freaking (laughs) great. I loved my thirties. Yeah. So like, what they're going through, this like, gosh, what did we do, and all that, and here I am, kind of sitting in that, and I'm like, okay, note to self, don't let. You know these connections go by, and I was feeling that already. I'm like, man, mm. there could have been potential in some places where I was like, no, I don't, I don't know, insecure, who knows? So uh, I don't know. Watching it now, I noticed a couple different things than I remember those feelings from seeing it in the theater in the first time. Um, but I definitely picked up on a couple different things this time. So,
0: um, yeah, like let's get into the movie then. So. I love that this movie opens like as a reversal of the way the first movie ended. So the first movie ended showing shots of places where Jesse and Celine had been during their night. And then Mm. this movie opens with shots of places that Celine and Jesse will go during their afternoon and evening, which I think in a way like gives it kind of a hopeful feeling. I don't know. Mm. Does it do that for you? you? What do you make of that
2: decision, if anything? I definitely noticed it right away, probably because we had just been talking about, you know, the other movie closing that way. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really noticeable to me that that's how it opened. I mean, ho- that yeah, that makes sense. The hopefulness makes sense to me.
0: Like it's a sense of looking forward to rather than looking back on. Yeah. I guess is what I'm going for. But yeah, still these empty places without people. <laughs> yeah, mm. And still the nature of, you know, the places remain, but the people are transitory. Like they talk about in the first movie. I don't know. So, okay. In addition to these like empty scenes, um, one of Delpy's songs is opening the film. And I went and looked up the lyrics. The song is called an ocean apart. And some of the lyrics are now we are together sitting outside in the sunshine, but soon we'll be apart. And soon it'll be night at noon. Now things are fine. The clouds are far away up in the sky, but soon I'll be on a plane and soon you'll feel the cold rain. So it's like, the its mm-hmm. song goes on and it's about like a long distance relationship that's falling apart so yeah mm-hmm. kind of brings up you know worries about how could they possibly be together really mm-hmm. right from the get-go the first location in the movie is like a place i love i was there and i'm like so i'm all excited about it um mm-hmm. it's the shakespeare and company bookstore and the film opens where jesse is doing a book signing at shakespeare and company and I think he probably has done book signings at Shakespeare and Company in his <laughs> life. And it is a famous and historical English language bookstore. It's located on the banks of the Sun River. It's across the river from Notre Dame and it's near the metro stop, Saint Michel. It's really easy to find when we visited. Um, it was opened in 1951 by an American named George Whitman. And it, he named it Shakespeare and Company because there was an older uh, store with the same name operated by Sylvia Beach, who was like a bookseller and publisher. And at her version, it was a gathering place for authors like Joyce, Hemingway, Stein, Fitzgerald. So like, mm-hmm. you know, that whole Paris in the 20s vibe, right? Mm-hmm. And George Whitman's shop also became kind of a gathering place. So writers such as Allen Ginsberg, William Burroughs, Anais Nin, Henry Miller, Richard Wright, James Baldwin, many more have all like visited the store, you know, gave readings there, et cetera. And the coolest thing about Shakespeare and Company is they offer a lodging program for travelers, and you don't have to be famous, okay? Um, What you have to do is you have to apply for it, but then when you're there, you have to read a book a day, help at the shop for a few hours a day, and produce a one-page autobiography. And over 30,000 people have participated in this program. And Ethan Hawke participated in the program, and he alludes in the movie. He talks about how he stayed at the bookstore overnight, and so he really has stayed at that bookstore overnight. So oh, cool! And it is one of my life travel goals to um, to stay overnight at Shakespeare and Company. So uh, I have to get that going. And like, I think I'd have to go alone because Lee cannot sleep just anywhere. So that would have to be a trip I took on my own. I think.
1: I just am floored that you you got to even be there. How exciting! I would t- that would be very high in my list. I mean, it's uh, a beautiful place. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's
0: mostly, you just feel like the history of it and it's a really quaint mm-hmm. little bookshop. I got like a copy of Henry and June there. <laughs> like, mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but I really would like to do the lodging program cause it's a much more like interactive thing where you're actually participating in the culture, basically participating uh-huh. in your tradition. Yeah. So yeah, we open with a book signing. I think this leaves us with a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities to discuss uh, fiction. Um, uh, apparently they came up with a premise because Richard Linklater turned up to a book signing that Ethan Hawke was doing in Austin. And they had an idea that um, Jesse had written a book about Celine and she could turn up to the signing. Like that became a, a way to make this story happen. They told that to the guardian. And I like that Jesse's book is called this time because they're <laughs> always referring to time in these movies.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then they have, people asking him questions like these journalists or whoever asking him questions about the book. And it was really meta to me because like a lot of the questions these journalists ask are things that they asked about the movie. Like, is it autobiographical? Mm. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. And did you actually know a woman like that? And like, yeah. So
1: what do you guys think about that as a device? I think that, um, Ethan Hawke, the writer, also gets these questions. Are these are your mm-hmm. books autobiographical in any way? And mm-hmm. who's that? Who's your the woman in your book? So, um, I I wonder if that is another layer in in the creative ah. process of yeah. making this film. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
0: Well, they use the question, so to say some interesting things like they reference, um, like they reference something that is a note to reader from the book, Look Homeward Angel by Thomas Wolfe, which I've never read. But in terms of the autobiography part, he says, we are the sum of all the moments of our lives. All that is ours is in them. We cannot escape or conceal it. If the writer has used the clay of life to make this his book, he has only used what all men must, what none can keep from using. Fiction is not fact. But fiction is fact selected and understood. Fiction is fact arranged and charged with purpose. So
1: yeah, that's
2: lovely. Yeah, I, I will you- say, as someone who writes fiction occasionally, everybody always assumes that it's autobiographical, no matter mm-hmm. what, and and i don't think that it always is like maybe the i like the clay of life that makes sense but the clay of life can sometimes be like your overactive imagination like i i can <laughs> mm-hmm. imagine all kinds of things that don't necessarily right. have a direct basis in my experience you know yeah
0: i cannot write short stories or novels that aren't very autobiographical but i find that if i do screenplays i can get away from it so
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> there interesting you go. it yeah. is weird
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, there that- might, there, I mean, I feel like there's always, like, a kernel, of course. Like, you have to have something that makes you think of something, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but for me, it's usually, like, a setting that speaks to me. And then yeah. none of the action or characters are, like, real life based at all. But everyone oh, assumes problem. that they are.
0: My problem is the characters. The characters always turn up. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like another thing um, he talks about. Like, he says he... It has to be somewhat autobiographical because he hasn't been to war or anything. So he's using his own life. And he says, my life from my own point of view has been full of drama and just capturing the drama of relationships between people. And in a way, I felt like that's Linklater talking to you like, this is what my films are about, right? Mm. Like, this is what I have chosen to focus on, like while other people make Saving Private Ryan or whatever, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Then um, they ask him what his next book is going to be, Jesse's book. And he says he wants to write a book that takes place in the space of a pop song, the person sitting there listening to the song. And then there's all the associations and memories that go with the song. So it goes back in time. Just So Jesse's describing his book and the character and stories story is in the present day, sees his da- daughter dancing to a pop song. Then he falls into a memory. And I wanted to play a clip from that, um, unless anyone wants to comment beforehand.
4: But No, go ahead. And he looks down and all of a sudden uh, he's 16 and his high school sweetheart is dropping him off uh, at, at home and they just lost their virginity and she loves him. And the same song is playing on, on the car radio and, and she climbs up and starts dancing on the roof of the car. And now, now he's worried about her and she's beautiful with a, a facial expression, you know, just like his daughter's. In fact, you know, maybe that's why he even likes her. You know, I mean, see, see, he knows he's not remembering this dance. He's there. He's there in in both moments simultaneously. And just like for right? instant, all his life is just folding in on itself. And it's obvious to him that time is a lie. Uh, uh, that it's that it's it's all happening all the time. And inside every moment is another moment. All yeah, happening simultaneously. Anyway, that's that's kind of the idea. Anyway.
0: So I should have explained before the clip. During this clip is the first time he sees that Celine has shown up at his um reading. Um she shows up, he goes, It's obvious to him that time is a lie. And that is the moment where he sees Celine. And mm-hmm. then he's like, uh mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's all happening all the time, and inside every moment is another moment, all you know, happening simultaneously. And that has got to be there placed that way for a reason, mm-hmm. I think.
1: He's having this moment. He's on his book tour in Paris, and you know, and then he looks over, and there's another moment happening within this moment. Um, you know, now he's remembering all the moments with her in this moment of seeing her for the first time while he's doing this book tour thinking, you know, he's got to leave in an hour or whatever, like all of that. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There are flashbacks like too. There's like little flashback,
0: quiet flashbacks to scenes from the first movie while he's describing that book. You're right. So Mm -hmm. he's, they literally show him remembering it. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, and if you, if you believe what he's saying about all time happening simultaneously, which I don't know how I feel about this. I really struggle with this whole question of the nature of time because i can mm. i like can understand this intellectually but it's really hard to feel that you know yeah. that time is all piled up like that mm-hmm. um mm. but if you if you buy that then they have never really
1: been apart mm. <laughs> That's <a> cool thought. <laughs> i don't know if i buy it i'm just floating with these thoughts you know and i don't think about them on like you know, every minute of every day, too busy being in my moment. I feel like um, if in fact, like
0: time is a lie and all these moments are happening simultaneously, that we would almost have to presuppose that we don't have free will in a sense. And that like, these things are destined to happen. They were always going to happen. It's just like a movie and you're, you're rewinding or fast forwarding to different places in the tape. I don't know. Yeah. And they do talk about free will versus fate later in the movie too.
1: I don't know. Or could there be alternate timelines still if time? Well, alive? I was I just, just thinking, thinking of that. I'm like Star Trek, all oh, and sliding doors and alternate timelines, and that one sounds fun. Well, that's part of what stresses me out about that whole idea. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> elaborate. Well, like I've I've heard it described as like it's a record, like the. Time is a record, you know, and mm-hmm. like it's all there on the album, and like we're just like play we're playing the groove, but the groove is there. Like mm-hmm. there's parts of me that sees that, like, okay, I can see how that may be true, but it also disturbs me because it means that the record is already pressed, you know, that I'm just like in this groove and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. But just because I don't like it doesn't mean that that's not true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know if it's stressful necessarily because like y- you're going to do what you would have always done. And like if there's no choice, there's no choice. There's a freedom in that too, I guess. I don't yeah. know. But, but you almost need the illusion, illusion of free will at least to like get up in the morning probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I think it's very significant that that's the line that she shows up on, right? Like mm. it gives it a sense of destiny to me. It, like, gives it a sense of like, and here she is. like yeah like yeah here's this thing that you're fated to to run into this encounter um so they're in the bookstore they talk a little bit in the bookstore but then just basically she goes outside and waits for him and he arranges the logistics he's has a plane to catch that evening so there's a time pressure um supposedly 7 30 but um he they decide to go get coffee and like with this limited window of time and yeah then they get into talking about some other things um Celine lives in Paris, apparently, and this is her favorite bookstore. And she saw his the sign about his reading. And right away, like they deal with the big yes. question right away, which is good, because I think otherwise viewers would be like, come on, come on. Um, For You sure. find out if they showed up or not. And Celine did not show up, but it was because her grandmother that she had been visiting in the first movie was buried the same day she was supposed to meet Jesse. And so mm-hmm. Jesse at first says that he didn't show up, but then when Celine gets mad at him... Uh, he admits that he actually did show up and he was putting up flyers looking for her at the train station and he owed his dad like $2,000 and like all this stuff. And it's so sad. Like, oh, I know. I hate to say it, but I probably would have missed my grandma's funeral. Like I'd be like, this person oh. is dead. I would be like, this person is already dead. Right. There's nothing I can do for them. There's an alive person I need to see, but I don't That's Whoa. me.
1: That's I kind of, I'm like, I did like, I respect that. I. Probably wouldn't have done. I would have done what what Celine did, gone to my yeah. the funeral and missed it. <sighs> it's yeah, it's so hard to say.
0: <sighs> I've missed a lot of funerals from living somewhere far away where I couldn't
2: come back. Like like the only I also like, have too. But yeah. like, it's, what if he hadn't shown up too, and then you and then you missed the funeral and he wasn't there? It's like I'd, I'd have
1: closure though. I don't know. Yeah, that's all. Oh. So, <sighs> I wonder if I would have tried to do both, you know, because it's just a train Mm -hmm. ride. Like maybe try to catch the train and see if he's there, like quick. We've got to come back for the (laughs) go back for the funeral. And if he wasn't there, then yes, just quickly go back and at least be a part of something. Um, Well, I'll just give everybody permission in advance that you're allowed to miss
0: my funeral if you have like anything important to do that relates to a living person. Okay,
1: just (laughs) (laughs)
3: that's
0: all. Please, please live. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I like that. I like that.
0: <laughs> anyway,
2: I think I don't know, celebrating death is really important too though. Like sometimes you need closure in that way too. Yeah. I think I think funerals are important. I can
0: take them or leave them, but yeah, that's me. I sound so callous. My funeral is going to be good. I right, I hope people right. come to it. <laughs> so we don't we don't have permission if we have to meet <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it depends. Check uh, okay. with me. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I will. I will use the Ouija board. No, <laughs> it sounds good. Okay. okay, so they didn't meet. They both find out why, and then Jesse tells Celine that he had actually written an ending to the story, a different ending to his story, where they showed up, they had sex for ten days. And then they realize they they actually don't get along. And Celine in the, the movie is like, Oh yeah, that's I like that. It's realistic. <laughs> like and I don't know. I don't know if she really believes that or if it's like a defense mechanism. Do you guys think that would be a more realistic ending to his novel? Like he says he had to cut it because the publishers didn't like it. They wanted a at least an ambiguous ending.
2: I mean, I think it's a realistic ending. Yeah. I don't for them, is it more realistic? I don't I don't know. Yeah.
1: I'm going to put a, I I like Zoe's response. It's, it's a, and it's, it's an ending. I don't think it would be true for their, their story. Yeah. It is also the first time that
0: sex is kind of injected into their dynamic too. Cause like he's Mm -hmm. the fictional them are having sex in their conversation and this sex just keeps getting injected more and more Mm -hmm. as the movie goes on. So I also like when Celine says that it's f- both flattering and disturbing to become a fictional character, <laughs> like to see yourself as part of someone else's memory. Um, I'm just wondering if you guys—I I have been—I can tell a little bit about that. But have you guys ever been um, the subject of someone's story, like, and you knew it? No, tell, tell about yours. Well, Zoe, have you?
2: I—I I don't think so.
0: Okay, yeah. I so I dated for a while um, this guy who is kind of like a self-published novelist, right, and he he would always like, okay, this drove me crazy. He'd always be like writing down shit that I said in his notebook. <clears> and he said he was going to like use it in his stories later. And I'm like, but what if I want to use that? And he's like, oh, you're not going to do it, which is partly true. Like I procrastinated on writing things, but it pissed me off at the same time. Right. Yeah. So and then he wrote a book um, where the main character was like partly based on me or a lot based on me. And the character was like a stripper whose mom had died. And like, <gasps> it was such a weird character. Like, cause like, he took like these grains of truth about me that like I'd auditioned to be a stripper once and that like I was kind of like a very sexual person at that time in my life and then my mom had died and like the image though of who the girl was was so weird to me and it, it seemed like kind of like almost like a caricature and it was like it, it was a it did a weird thing to the relationship with him where I'm like is that really how you see me <laughs> like, really? like is this like she the character didn't seem very deep she seemed a little bit manipulative and I'm like is this really me like mm. <laughs> and ultimately I don't think that is really me but i think like maybe that was me in some ways through his lens through like his past experiences and how they informed our interaction so it can it is it can be flattering to be to be important enough to someone that you're in their writing but it can also be disturbing because it might show you things that you're like is that the truth is there a grain of truth i don't know
2: yeah well Mm. especially to be fictionalized i think would be like could definitely be like a do a number on your mind because then it's like hard to say what is the fiction piece, what is the the grain of truth there. Yeah. I, I feel like I've probably been written about but I've always liked that, but I also haven't and, been fictionalized. Yeah. I think that would be super weird.
0: Yeah. And then um,
2: they find out what
0: Celine has been doing for her job. He asks her, and she's been working for something called Green Cross, an environmental organization. And she is not optimistic about the future of the world. And so Jesse says to her, Well, sometimes he thinks everything's screwed up, and other times he's optimistic. And Celine just like is angry about that because she's like, What are you talking about? Like, the things are getting better in the world. And like, I want to know, how do you guys fall on this? Like, would you be more of a Celine who's like, things are totally fucked up and we're just trying to like, do a little bit to like make it not as bad or would you be more like Jesse? Like think some things are getting better or some things are getting worse.
2: Here is the first time that I really strongly identify with Jesse in this movie, but it just, it just continues on. I feel, I feel like I really identify with him and his philosophy through this whole movie. Um, I, I can't. So, I've been doing some genealogy stuff. I promise this is related and I'll keep it short. <laughs> I've been doing some genealogy stuff, and it has occurred to me that, like, the way that we live now, it, we're like royalty. Like, oh, yeah. our lives, our everyday lives, we have access to like riches untold, even if we're not particularly well off ourselves compared to our ancestors not that long ago. And I know Mm -hmm. that that's just, that's looking at it from a pretty like materialistic lens, but it, it came to mind when I read this question.
0: I I think Um, about that every time I eat citrus fruit, actually, because citrus fruit was like a Christmas present in the past, you know, or like, or like, or like the reason there's an orangery at Versailles is because like, that was like, or no, it wasn't at Versailles. The reason, but the reason there's like a royal orangery is because that's how they had oranges.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Totally. And just like thinking about how many, how many items of clothing I have, you know, like when I think about my laundry pile, people used to have like a shirt that they would like leave to someone in their will because it was such (laughs) an expensive thing to have, you know? So, I mean, that's just, that's totally like materialistic point of view. But I do think that I do have a lot of hope for like people, humanity, individuals, I guess, um. And I do think that there are lots of things that are always getting better.
1: Where do you yeah. come down, Soph? Well, here's the thing. I will rage out at all the injustices, but then, you know, I I don't know. I in my I think my life philosophy is hope and love win. Mr. Rogers said it too. When there's catastrophe, look for the helpers. Like there's always somebody, even if it's one person that, you know, will rise up and do a kind thing and the right thing or something like that. So as Jesse says to Celine, you're out there doing it. Like that's hopeful and optimistic in and of itself. And And now I'm going to totally rain on everybody's parade because I'm a
0: hundred percent Selene here. Like to the, to the extent (laughs) that I have actually like, to the extent that I've actually talked angrily towards somebody on this very topic, the way she's doing, (laughs) Um, like, like, (laughs) and it's mostly climate, it's mostly climate change. Like, honestly, every time I read about climate change in depth, I'm just like more and more hopeless because I feel like as many people as are doing helpful things, like, Mm. Climate change alone is a massive threat, like I guess we're almost ready to hit the one point five threshold, and like it's it's made me I don't want to go too far into this, but like things are bad like for that outlook and um and that's just one area right there's like she's talking about also like water pollution and like mm-hmm. you know I don't remember what else she mentions, but just environmental problems in general, and like our lifestyle um is so far removed from the earth and like mm-hmm. only taking what we need, right that like, Mm. I don't know if we even have the capacity to mentally understand how to fix it or how to roll back our lives in such a way that we would fix it. So, and we've, with all these competing democratic societies and no one body in charge of like ameliorating these um, environmental problems, I just don't know how we're going to deal with it. And like, sometimes I wonder if there's like some kind of crazy conspiracy shit, like in that movie, 2012, and this whole Mars thing is a bunch of rich people (laughs) trying to escape from the rest Mm. of
1: them. Anyway, (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I'm totally like, a no, sleeper. no, I get that. because I, <laughs> I, I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere where it was like, you know, y- y- we're trying to recycle and separate our garbage out when like, really, it's like, I don't know, five major companies, global companies that if they cleaned up their shit, we'd be okay. You know, something to that degree. It's like yeah. money, money, all, all of it falls down to money.
0: I get angry. I like- I like that we have one of each, though. We've got a, a Jesse, a Celine, and a
1: Halfway. So, I'm, I'm okay. a total Halfway. Me, I'm the Halfway, always. <laughs> I
2: always. mean, I don't, so I, yeah, I think that it's more
1: complicated than that in
2: my mind. I, but I do think that optimism is is a magic spell, and like it's where I try to keep putting my mind, and there's no point in me getting mad about the companies that aren't, you know, the the big, These sure. big five companies, like, I can't do anything about it, so I'm not going to put I my mean. energy there. I'm going to put think, my energy somewhere positive. Yeah, I don't think
0: anger and pe- pessimism on their own have any value. Like, they only really have any value if they are turned into action. Action, so, yeah. for sure. For sure. Even if it's just the small action, yeah. All right, so you want to go to the cafe, Sophia? Do you want to talk about the cafe? Yeah, I
1: really love the cafe. Like their whole conversation from one section to the like a bam, bam, bam. I'm like, wait, that's good too. Oh my gosh, that's good too. And I've already like alluded to a few things, you know, where, um, you know, so Celine tell, talks tell what the cafe is though. Like introduce what the cafe. <gasps> oh, is. the you cafe. Know. I want to go. Um, Le Peu Cafe. If that's how it's pronounced, because my French is stupid.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe Le Pure. I don't know. But yeah, like it's spelled like pure. So yeah. yeah.
1: It's it's still there. It's an okay. And I read the website in French. So from what I gleaned, it's an authentic <laughs> bistro from, you know, 1900. Um, meals and coffee and um, the metro stop is gr- I would say Charron. Beautiful. Thank you. So I'm on my trip to France. Next time Um, I'm stopping here for sure. Uh, And this is where you find out they both had lived in New York for a while at the same time. (gasps) I remember learning that for the first time too and being like, I've got it. Um, A lot of sexual content begins entering the conversation. Celine describes French men as not as horny as American men. And they agree. Jesse has no problem there. Um, Let's see. Celine asks if she looks any different. To which Jesse says he'd have to see her naked. Oh, my gosh. And Jesse also gets Celine um, to take down her hair. A visual cue that definitely signifies growing intimacy. Yeah, he's and like, he
0: has to see her take her hair down to see yeah, if she take looks it the same. And it's like, man, like, what a ploy. And, like, yeah, the taking down of the hair, of course, is always a metaphor for, like, you know, becoming intimate, really
1: um and this next comment jesse already seems totally besotted with celine and looking at her sort of hungrily i absolutely 100 percent agree like mm-hmm. he he cannot keep his eyes off her and it's just like yeah the
0: face yes. acting by ethan hawk in this movie alone you could almost watch the movie with the sound off and figure out what he's feeling in this movie like I yes, paused at a yeah. few times in different sections and I was like, oh yeah, wow. He's really emoting so much just with his face and body language.
3: Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, an- another topic that came up that really struck me this time. So Celine talks about when she went to Poland as a teenager in um, heavily, you know, communist Poland. And um, she talks about how it, in the beginning she was bored. But later on, she, you know, she starts to write more in her journal and her brain seemed clearer and she's having ideas she's never had before. And oh, yeah, she- can you
0: explain why she was bored? Though? Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Cause like m- maybe not
0: everybody's familiar with what it was like in communist, you know, Poland. Oh,
1: well, she, there's no ads. There's, you know, TV's in a different language. There's nothing to buy. She's not in her daily routine. Um, which I, I mean, wow. Um, Just the the thought of, like, no ads around. That's wild. Um, But she's able to, you know, her mind is at rest. And she says she's essentially better off. My brain felt like it was at rest, free from the consuming frenzy. So what struck me so much about that. I'm like, and when was social, this was just right at the tip of social media. And yeah, the
0: movie, not her trip to Warsaw. Yeah. Her trip no, to-
1: right. Right. Not her trip. To- yeah. That's, f- that's even long before. Yeah. And she's already talking about like being, you know, undistracted by, you know, consuming frenzy. I'm like, Oh my gosh, now forget about it. Cause while this film was being made or when it was made, 2003, 2004, Friendster was launched in 2002 to MySpace in 2003, Skype in 2003, and Facebook in 2004. And (laughs) it just kind of was like, you don't even know it's coming yet. You don't even know. And... (laughs) <laughs> I want to know from you two and our and our listeners. When did you join any of these social media platforms? When did you first get a cell phone or a smartphone? And when did you get connected? Oh my god!
0: <laughs> um, I had I was never on. Well, no, I actually I joined MySpace like right before MySpace wasn't a thing anymore. Just for the hell of it, <laughs> so yeah. I was like a, I was a very late adopter on that shit. I'm sure I still have a page somewhere. I don't know. Um, I did right. not a smartphone until well into my time in Korea. I think 2015 was my first smartphone because I knew I would be addicted to it. I knew. And um, Facebook, 2009, maybe? And then, um, my first thing was Live Journal, which launched in 1999. I joined it in 2002. But Live Journal had a very peaceful energy compared to all of these things. Like Live Mm Journal is just like you were sharing your journal with people and then like they, you would read theirs, they would read yours and like you comment, but it wasn't like giving you notifications all the time. And it was Mm -hmm. very like in depth. And like, man, there's shit I shared on that I should never have shared on, because <laughs> it felt so intimate. I, I'm friend mm. only did a while ago, so nobody can look at it who, unless they're friends with me. So you were on Facebook or Live Journal, right? I think that's how we met. Did we meet on Live
2: Journal? We I thought, totally
0: like, did. I, I've totally forgot how we met because I, I in my mind I thought we like, oh, that you were just living with Susan for some reason. I don't know.
2: We met on Live Journal. We met on Live Journal before I moved to Portland. Wow. I I met Susan through you. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know anybody but you when I moved to Portland. Did we meet like on the vegan community or something? Probably, Probably. vegan okay. people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, i I had Live Journal when I was like eighteen or nineteen, and yeah, it's it's really funny. I think about some of the stuff that I wrote about publicly back yeah. then on yeah. Live Journal versus like how I don't share anything on social yeah. media now almost nothing personal um, right now because now everybody's
0: like trolling it to see like you know people's secrets or bad things they said right or like and you're connected with people that are just like acquaintances like not not even close friends or strangers F- strangers you can share whatever with right and close yeah. friends you can share with everyone things with everyone but acquaint you don't want to share all your shit with your acquaintances right <laughs> i mean i don't
2: some people yeah. do some people seem like, to <laughs>
0: On live journal, though, like I, my whole like first divorce was like, and meeting Lee was like all on there, like every all the pain, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Zoe.
2: No, that's okay. Um, and I, I also was a late uh, smartphone adopter. I got it when my son was in the hospital. He was premature, oh. and so it was like mm-hmm. I was in the hospital on my little flip phone, and I was yeah. like, you know, it would be so handy if I could like text so (laughs) we got smartphones so that was like the beginning of 2015 oh we're same Um, year okay yeah yeah i i tried to avoid it for a long time too um facebook facebook though i was i was on facebook when it was still just you had to have a college email address Hmm. i got facebook when i lived in portland um probably just a couple years after it started and I tried to make it more of a live journal thing. I had to delete that one. <laughs> that was that was a bit much.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, so I've I've left and rejoined Facebook a couple of times. I, I wish that I I wish that it didn't have any value and that I could just like say no to it completely because I really it's it's hard. It's hard, Facebook.
0: I've learned how to deal with it in a way that is good for me and I wish people actually posted on it more because like I feel like if people were posting more chatty and interesting things it would drown out some of the algorithms and the articles and the memes a little more but because mm-hmm. of the algorithms and the articles and the memes so many people have left right and then so all the chatty mm-hmm. there's so few people left saying anything of interest but
1: yeah but I I
2: don't I also don't like fake life stuff on Facebook either though but my
0: stuff isn't fake, you know. Like I just say what's up, right? I don't always yeah. put everything, but I'll definitely put a mixture of good and bad, and like, yeah, well,
2: yeah. I like your fa- your Facebook is like earnest and sweet, and it's one of the few that's left.
0: That's right. God damn it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> So did you want to say stuff about your own development or or more to connect it to the movie or like in terms of like, um... I
1: just, I mean, I, it's, yeah, it's such a, such a thing of the now that, you know, we have to take Facebook breaks and, um, you know, therapists are advising, you you know, people to delete those things from your phone. Don't, don't be up on it all day. It's not good for your mental health. Like that is a, I think kind of a pathetic and sad thing in a way like and I, I feel that it does cause so much anxiety and depression th- in people and um,
0: yeah I think a, fra- a mental fragmentation too like just mm. jumping from one topic to the next in these short little mm. bursts one mm. emotion to the next yeah yeah like everything right. with the same value, like, oh, I got a great hot dog today. Oh, like uh, somebody was killed by the police. Oh, like right. um, like right. buy this outfit that's being advertised to you. Like all with the same value, like coming like, at you one yeah, after the
1: other. And no control sure.
0: over what you see next. No control.
1: Well, you know, what took me so long to – so, so long whatever to like sign up for MySpace and facebook was this idea that you were putting all your information online like oh my gosh they want my birthday and they want my and, email and well, oh part. my gosh you know well i know but like all that but now like you talk about things and the advertisements show up on your phone like do you believe that that when you know your phone can hear you talking and can you know <laughs> when you say like oh i'm looking for you know uh a fire pit for my backyard let's see now if when i go online am i gonna start getting ads for fire pits even though it's not what i really want but it's just an example i'll tell you next time if it happened or not so anyway oh, <laughs> you better you better tell us i'm gonna let you know
0: yeah i like that. Uh, anyway i like that and and like i'm not to spoil anything but they do talk a little bit more about virtual worlds in the next movie so yeah
1: uh Oh, interesting. I don't know. I'm feeling... Th- th- this This series has brought out, like, a real, like, set... Sa- I don't know. It's making me very sad for a time before... Not just before pandemic, the time before, but, like, before social media and mm-hmm. all of this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. But I will say, like, I, there's still there's still real-life interactions to be had, you know? And, like, after... I met I met Jen and some other friends and my my ex husband through LiveJournal and after that I was like I'm not gonna like I need to make friends and relationships in the real world Mm -hmm. and that's you know not to say anything bad about our friendship but like when you get to know somebody (laughs) just through just through social media or whatever and you you get that closeness with them I feel like there can be like a weird like adjustment period because you're not really getting the same thing that you would get Hmm. walking around and talking. Um, So I'm
0: not sweet and earnest. Come on
2: now. Okay. You actually, you are sweet and earnest, (laughs) but that's the thing is like you're sweet and earnest in all, in all media. I feel Um, (laughs) this wasn't meant to be about you at all. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm also vain. So there you go. (laughs) It's more about, it's more about um, romantic relationships that I feel like, needed to be built on an in-person basis first rather than an internet basis first. And it, and it wasn't just my, my ex-husband. There's like a a couple of others before that too, where Mm -hmm. it got really close online and then real life wasn't quite the same, you know?
0: Yeah, Lee, Lee and I worked out well, but like the, the one funny misconception I had was I didn't really know about avatars before we met. Um, and so he had a picture from Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Uh, of like, like, and I thought that he was like that character. Like he looked like that character. And then when I saw him in real life. I'm like, you mean you don't have long flowing hair and like a poet's face? Like, <laughs> 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 you're just like a regular guy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Did and you like- meet
2: Lee on LiveJournal?
0: I did. I did meet Leon on SOS USA, wow. which was a community devoted to free speech and um, civil liberties right after nine eleven. So
2: we met talking about free speech and Dennis Kucinich. Wow. See, I met I met James, my ex husband, because I made some post about Saddam Hussein and how I was like, it's really not appropriate that we're all like super stoked about the death of this person. Like, no matter yeah. what. You know, like the, I just found that all the discourse about that, like, really disturbing. Yeah, and, yeah. And he liked sure. what I wrote about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Do you think we love these films because they are people who like just meet and get right into the deep stuff? I I love it. Um, yeah.
3: yeah, I think that's part I of think it for
1: sure. I'm- convinced most people like that i know so many people who are like i hate just that chatter just the the small talk and like why do we not have time or something to get into these kinds of conversations this is great i haven't you know i love hearing this stuff guys i love hearing what you're writing about and thinking about and yeah
2: okay so jesse then talks about how hard it is to be in the moment and how he feels like he's designed to be slightly dissatisfied. He says, I satisfy one desire and it just agitates another. Um, and Celine re- responds that, that having no desire is a sign of depression and that she really feels alive when she wants something other than just basic survival needs. Then they, go, they talk about Trappist monks and how Jesse finds being around them cheerful and relaxing and and most people you meet are trying to get somewhere better which is exhausting Mm. so i want to know what you guys think about desire like the buddhist idea of desire like Mm -hmm. if we never wanted anything would we never be unhappy or is it more complicated than that for you
0: I'm kind of a Buddhist. I say that because, like, I don't feel like legit being a Buddhist, but I, if, if there's any religion I subscribe to at all, it's Buddhism and I, the Noble Eightfold Path, you know, and right speech and right action, et cetera. But the one thing about Buddhism that has always been difficult for me is kind of the idea that to desire is to suffer in a sense that, like, that our desires are what leads to suffering and the ultimate state, you know, of enlightenment would be just being completely content in the moment with what is. And even if you're like getting eaten by a lion or something, you're okay with it somehow you have equanimity. I mean, that's like the extreme end, right? But Uh like, that's the one part that's been really hard for me to grasp onto because I am very, have been very fiercely motivated by desires often in my life, especially when it comes to love and sex, like in particular, but like things like you know, food too sometimes, or just sensual experiences in general. So I can see the truth in it, but like, I'm not ready that yet to give up my desire, I guess, if, if that makes any sense.
2: Totally. I, I feel the same way. It's something that I just cannot subscribe to and why I don't think I will ever be able to go down a Buddhist path. I think it's anti-human, to be honest. I think that desire is like the motivator of life and yeah i've i've spent I've spent a couple of years like coming to terms with this question because yes it can be pretty painful to have desires unmet right but I also i i agree with celine that like it makes you alive it makes you a person it fuels art and and creativity yeah. and magic power. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I like this other thing that Jesse says where he says it's okay to want things as long as you don't get pissed off if you don't get them. And I think that mm-hmm. might be actually the yeah. key for me. It's like want things, but the minute you attach to that want desire, the minute you're like if I don't have this, I can't be happy. That's where you really get into trouble. And I think totally. a lot of like a are, lot of are, a lot of Buddhist um monks will like encourage that path rather than entirely extinguishing desire, just to like merely eliminate the expectation element from it, you know? So yeah.
1: are we talking in terms, though, that seems like wanting stuff, you know, like, anything, oh, anything. These- no, an outcome too. like it would be an like, outcome. Okay, so- Definitely.
0: So, yeah. Okay. So let's yeah, say you great. wanted it to be sunny tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you really wanted it. You're having a picnic or something like it's OK to want it to be sunny. But then if you get really upset, if it rains, you've caused yourself suffering because you really can't do anything about the fact that it rained. Right. Mm-hmm. So just to have equanimity in the face of this outcome that hasn't been ideal for you, I guess. So we're going to do spoilers soon, but first, before we get into the spoiler section, I'm going to introduce the next location. So they leave the cafe to take a walk. And I didn't know this place existed. It's really cool. So there's this place called the Coulee Verte René Dumont Mont, which is also called Promenade Plantée. And it is the world's first elevated park walkway. And it's in, in Paris, obviously. The whole movie's in Paris. And it was built in 1993. It is 10 meters above the street level. And it's 4.5 kilometers long. So it's this beautiful park where you can just walk, like, above the city. And mm. it was built on top of something called the Viaduct des Arts. And it goes from the Place de la Bastille to Bois de Vincennes. And it actually inspired New York's Highline Park, if you've ever been to that. so Yes. Yeah. like um, cool. It's so beautiful. Like, the parts they show in the movie are beautiful when they're walking around. But, like, there's even cooler stuff I saw when I looked up, up online. Like, there was, like, some kind of, like cable bridge like across a parkway it was it, across a mm-hmm. park it was really beautiful like so i really want to go there god willing i will go to paris again and like i will definitely check that out and mm-hmm. so we'll put a link in the show notes to that and now we're going to begin the spoilers because why not so in mm-hmm. we can talk about anything up to the end of the movie now um in the Verte conversation section
1: okay so they Talk oh, start talking about that night and Celine claims they didn't have sex and Jesse disagrees. Later on, she admits that she remembered it, but initially says, I put things in drawers inside my head. And what's her again? I still find this weird. Like, why uh-huh. would she do that? What's her motivation Is there, you know, I I would not do this myself, but I think she's just trying to protect her
0: heart. I think she's trying to make it come off like he was not that important to her and like she hasn't Uh been pining for him for fucking years, right? Mm. So she's just trying to like play it cool a little bit. That's my theory. I would not do that to someone, but that's my theory.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little weird too. Um, I love that Jesse says, I remember that night better than I remember entire years. Ugh.
0: I tried to think if there were any nights that I remembered that well and I could not think of one. Like I wanted to. Like I wanted to think there must be one night that I remember all the details that I could write a whole story. But I maybe in the past if I tried to written, write something all down I could have but not anymore. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I,
0: I can remember certain nights like detail like things but I couldn't write a whole book with like tons of details about any given night.
2: Okay, a whole right. book. Yeah, maybe not. I also feel like his saying he's going to write a whole book about one song is a little bit of a stretch. Like, that might make a nice story. but
0: Well, I, well, I mean, the song maybe going he's a into all writer. kinds of different time periods, you know? Like, it could be memories unfolding into memories or something. Or it's a really good song. I don't know.
2: That's true. Or maybe he's just like, he's like a... Or maybe he's being pretentious. Charles Dickens. Oh, <laughs> God, like... yeah. Super description, getting, yeah. Yeah, super descriptor, getting paid by the word.
1: Yeah. You guys, there's so much to this conversation. Um, Memory is a wonderful thing if you don't have to deal with the past. That's Celine. How's that? I don't understand what she meant by that. To be honest, like I guess,
0: like I don't know, like because mm. is dealing with the past. He's there now.
2: Is that what she's referring to? Like I think or- so. Like like maybe she's saying it was nice to have that
1: memory if she never had to like confront face it. it again. Yeah. Confront it, yeah. Cause she does talk about how it's ruined her for all other relationships essentially. And yeah, I don't know. And then Jesse says a memory is never finished as long as you're alive. Yeah. You he's saying that,
0: that, he's saying that in reference to how the, the memory of that night has now been fundamentally changed. Like how they will think about it because mm. they've met again. Like when they didn't know if they would ever meet again, they didn't know what happened to each other. And the memory had one character but mm. now that we met we've each other, it fundamentally changes like the emotional relationship to that. And mm-hmm. I think that's so true. Like it can happen in a good way or a negative way, right? Like this is not anything in my personal life, but let's say you were with someone and happy with them. And then later you found out that they have been cheating on you the whole time. It would change so many memories of that relationship, you mm-hmm. know, uh-huh. like it would color things like and that happens in a positive way or a negative way. I can't think of right now of an example from my life, but like, I just, I felt really true to me.
2: I don't know if I have a specific example, but I guess okay. it makes me think about like I don't know, like the the memories that you play more often in your head are the least likely to be accurate. They mm. they say, you know, cuz you're always like this is slightly different, but it's like you're as you're replaying it, you're reshaping it in your mind.
3: Hmm.
0: That's true too. And Celine actually says that she, in that same scene, that she has a memory that never happened, like her mom telling her about, like, right. <laughs> like yeah. some guy was flashing her, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Right. I, I'm pretty sure I have one of those too. I have this weird memory, like, that my mom told me that I should wear underwear to bed or a snake would get me. And she's claimed she never said that. But I'm like, how did I even come up with that? It's so phallic <laughs> too. Anyway, she wanted, she, oh wanted me, like, she wanted me to make sure I wore underwear when I slept, though. I don't, it was very weird. But, yeah. <laughs> did
1: it happen did it not i don't know wild or just how you remember th- shared memories yeah um and then you know you have it as some way and then you get together and you share this memory and someone's like that's not how it happened it yeah. was like this let's see uh Celine says after reading her journals she realizes that of course she hasn't changed at all i have felt that looking back at my journals i'm like oh <laughs> nothing's changed. Same, anybody? Yeah.
2: Well, so I, I I don't really have journals, but I have old writing, like from college. And oh. I've gone back that that's like saved in a Google Drive that I can still access. And uh-huh. and not too long ago, I went back and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I have all these old things. I don't remember writing them at all. Like I, I would mm. see the file name and it's like, I don't recall what this is about. And I opened it and it's like, oh my gosh, like I feel so different. But, like, mm. these are the same types of thoughts that I have now.
1: Oh. It,
2: it was a little bit eerie. Because I feel like I'm a completely different person than I was when I was in college. Than when I lived in Portland, you know. Um, See, yeah. I think, but I guess do not.
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I cut you off. I'm sorry.
2: Oh. No, I, I finished.
0: So, yeah, I, I kind of disagree. So, like, Jesse, along with this, says that, like. Um, he cites this study and I've looked at this study too, where they looked at lottery winger winners and paraplegics and like, um, they studied kind of like their moods, like before and after these like events that were- are life-changing. And like, apparently people have like a mood set point. Like they'll always return to like this basic, you know, set point. And like, I believe that this study probably showed that, but like, I don't know if I a hundred percent can agree with that, like in my life. Because, for for example, having depression, like before 18, I didn't have any depression, right? Mm-hmm. Like I did not have clinical depression. It hit me around 18. So there's even one example of like who I was when I was under 18 was not affected by clinical depression. And so that was a huge change for me in my personality and my outlook. Uh, same with my mom dying when I was then 19 was another huge change in my outlook. So I really do Mm. think people can change either by like hormonal or physical things that affect them, maybe their mood too. And also by just these major events, like my mom's death was one of those. And Mm. like, I do think there are core things like values that I have from when I was a kid and like sort of core things you get from before five from your, the way your parents nurture you or not, you know, that will affect who you are for the rest of your life. But Mm. I do think we're also capable of big
2: changes. That's, that's my opinion. Mm. I get, you know, that's, that's really interesting. When I was in college, I was like on medication for severe anxiety and like, I don't feel like the way that I seem to other people, Mm
3: -hmm. the way that I come
2: across would be Mm -hmm. the same at all. Like, I feel like my external self in some ways is unrecognizable from the person Mm -hmm. I was then, but it's really, that's why it's so bizarre to me to see that some of the questions, some of the like I don't know. Like, I recognize my own style. I recognize the things that I was thinking about hmm. are the same. So maybe it's not, maybe like mood can be different. Maybe there can be big changes. In well, yeah, that way.
0: I, th- I thought about different things too, though. Cause when my mom died, like before she had died, I wasn't really thinking about death or aware of it. And hmm. then just being made aware of death with that sudden death, like unexpected, just I became so morbid. <laughs> Like I'm still morbid. Like I think about death mm-hmm. so much now, and it really changes the way you live your life when you worry about death more. It really does. Like I was so oblivious before she died. Oh my god, mm-hmm. I yeah.
1: I must be obsessed with it. I think about. It. I mean, if I always like somebody leaves. You know, Greg leaves for work. I'm like, okay, got to make sure I kiss him and and say I love you because this could be the last but time. Like I kind of you do that been a- stable though for your whole life, or was it because I think- of an event? Like, um, a, a long time. I really think so. Like having seen some, you know, read it somewhere, watched an Oprah, you know, people always say, you never know. It's the last time you might see somebody and don't let that moment go. Don't let them walk oh, out boy. without seeing, look, you know what it is? Our town. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. what it, you guys read and seen <laughs> our town. Yeah, fuck you up. Yeah, I I
2: actually, I actually live in the town that our town is set in. Do not. (gasps) I do. Yeah. Yeah. Peterborough is like is is this is the secret? um, What is it like? Grover's Corners. Yeah. Oh
1: wow oh I'm about to like cry you say Grover's Corners I'm like that. <laughs> yes it did because she dies and she tries to go back to just a plain old moment where nothing special happened but she wants her mom to look at her and she doesn't because she's like you know fussing around with the beans or something like that and like yeah that plays played played really well into my personality already mm-hmm. I think that was already there mm-hmm. as a seed and it just <clears throat>
0: So I so. think things can change you though. Even a book can change you, in my opinion, and like change like what you start thinking about. That's me. I think there's Ooh, cap- and I, and I sure. like to hope that I will change again, you know,
4: and mm. that I will keep
0: developing in some way. I hope so.
2: So, so the talk about death is a good segue um, to. <laughs> then they talk about. Celine asked what they'd talk about if they were going to die tonight. oh yes and so we talked in before sunrise (laughs) about how much they were talking about death and so here it comes in again and jesse says he'd still talk about magic in the universe but they'd be talking in a hotel room between sex sessions
0: yeah he actually says fucking each other i think but yeah 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 Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I was yeah and then he pulls her onto the (laughs) and then he and then he pulls her onto the bench like he pulls her, like he Mm -hmm. pulls her onto this bench onto
2: his lap and i'm like damn Mm-hmm. What's funny is that that is the moment where I noticed he was wearing a wedding ring. Oh really? Yeah, oh. they don't talk about it for a while yet but I noticed it then. That's right. yeah. And what did that th- what did you think
0: then? I was like, oh
2: my gosh,
0: when are they gonna talk about
2: this <laughs> 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 So yeah, he pulls her onto his lap and she's like shutting it down like we're not gonna die. And you know, but, but at that point, they, I think that they stay pretty physically close for the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are parts where she m- makes a distance between them when they're on the boat, but yeah. yeah. Mm. But this, yeah, definitely brings them right next to each other.
2: Oh, no, they do. So it is, they do bring up his marriage not too long later when they get up off the bench. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she reveals that she has read an article about him that says mm-hmm. that he's married and has a kid. And so... That's kind of like a, a bombshell moment, I think, as like a first time viewer, even though I had noticed his wedding ring. It was like, OK, now they're going to talk about it. And then it turns out she also has a photojournalist boyfriend. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and then they move um, to the boat scene.
0: So, so I'll introduce like, so because we're doing the travel series still, I'm really quickly going to introduce the boats, the kind of boats that they're on. So there's a number of boats that go on the sun and they're very briefly walking on the banks of the sun before Jesse's like, let's get on this boat. And the boat they get in on is labeled Rama. and Kano I think I'm pronouncing it right, Rama is a tour company. You can get their boats even today. And on the website, it says their tours start at 18 euros a person, which is about 22 dollars. And it's like a two hour tour and like, they don't really seem to be like on a tour boat though. I think what the movie is implying that they're actually on is something called a bateau boost. And that's an option where it's like more like public transportation along the Seine and you can buy like mm. a day pass, a two day pass or even a year pass. And like some Parisians depending on, you know, their lifestyle will actually use that like a bus. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, Pretty reasonable. One day pass is like 17 euros, two day passes 19 Euros. And like, that's what they're doing. They get on the bus and then they get off at another stop. Like so that's the kind of boat you would actually be taking. The Kanorama they probably just used because they could rent it for the movie, I would imagine. And mm-hmm. um there's a ton of tour options on the Seine. If you go to Paris, you should definitely, you know, use one of them. It's really beautiful, like Celine later says, to see Paris from the the river. Lee and I took the Vedettes de Pont Neuf, which is like a one-hour cruise and it has commentary. And like, I think if I went back, I wouldn't do that one, even though I learned some interesting things. I would probably just get
2: the Bateau Bus because you could use it a lot of times. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's my travel recommendation. Cool. That I, that me. was m- one of my favorite memories of being in Paris. It's been also like- Oh, so you were there too. I forgot. I didn't ask you guys if you'd been there. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Like 20 years ago, I was a teenager. Okay. But I, I remember that that cruise it was like a sunset cruise it was it was really cool I loved it nice.
1: mm, beautiful so we talk about on the boat scene the 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 light on the boat you know it goes from light to dark in this scene as they go under tunnels and emerge back into the light and do you think that's something thematically or it was just cool to look at or I think it was just the nature of being on a boat in tunnels sure but they but they choose
0: to shoot it on a boat so i'm wondering is there a deeper meaning to why they chose that you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. the light is so like exquisite to me like the going into Mm -hmm. the dark and coming out into the light going into a tunnel and -hmm. coming out into the air i Mm -hmm. feel like it's got to be something thematic but it's just like just past the
3: Mm.
0: the tip of my mind i don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) zoe you got anything do you think anything about that
2: so of course they've been like separated for nine years, right? Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. even when you're in a relationship with someone that you know every day, there's like there's times when they're more or less hidden from you.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And maybe you know this—the moment of this movie is a time where they're more where they're learning about each other more, and it's more in the light. But like I don't know, it can go back and forth across a lifetime. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that could be something. Yeah. I also thought maybe light and dark moods because like a lot of times they get very serious and then suddenly they'll lighten the mood again and they go back and forth. Like, mm. I don't
2: know,
0: but it really does
2: a lot. I feel like that scene is so evocative. Like, mm. and it's well, much that's interesting. Than- that's something that I noticed about Jesse a lot in this movie. Like it's one of the ways that I relate to him because he, he makes little silly jokes sometimes yeah. when things are getting heavy and I, I, sometimes can't help myself, but do that. Like I can't keep the joke that I'm thinking in my mouth, (laughs) even if it might not be totally appropriate. Yeah.
0: So one thing, like, I don't know if this story is very important in and of itself, but I noticed something about it today. So Jesse, they look at Notre Dame and Jesse's like talking about how like these Germans were supposed to destroy, blow up Notre Dame in world war two, but then they couldn't do it because it was so beautiful. And I tried to look in to see if that was true. All I could find was an article saying that it was probably just a myth you know, that the Germans were using to like, you know, aggrandize themselves after the war. Like we weren't all bad or something like that. So I'll put that in the show notes, but I don't know if it is anything, but like what what i but she also then talks, Celine then goes on to say about before Notre Dame, there was another cathedral there. Like everything's kind of impermanent. And then someday there'll be something else there. And like, of course, this was well before the Notre Dame fire in 2019. And it's interesting to me that they're talking about like, the impermanence of these like really ancient like physical objects, this building that's been there like so long, and mm-hmm. then they go from that to talking about like this this sort of the permanence of that memory they had with each other, that mm-hmm. fragile you would think like mm-hmm. ephemeral experience they had, and and that's what's permanent to them. I thought that was so such. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but it came together for me. Mm. And Uh, also
2: super interesting in the context of what we were talking about in the beginning of the movie where it it talks, you know, where it shows the, the places that they visit without them. And there it's more feeling like the, the places are what is permanent.
3: Hmm.
2: Hmm.
0: So I wanted to do a clip from the next little bit. There's one of the most beautiful sections of the movie, in my opinion is Celine now is going to talk about like, how hard it is for her to get over people. And this is like, I think, one of the most famous clips of dialogue. So I'm going to play that really quick, unless you have some, anyone has something to say further? No, go ahead. Okay.
4: You know, I think that book that I wrote in a way was like building something so that I wouldn't forget the details of the time that we spent together. You know, like just as a reminder that, that once we really did meet, you know, that this was real, this happened.
5: I'm happy you're saying that because I mean, I always feel like a freak because I'm never able to move on like this, you know. People just have an affair, or even entire relationships. They break up and they forget. They move on like they would have changed random cereals. I feel I was never able to forget anyone I've been with. Because each person had their own specific qualities. You can never replace anyone. What is lost is lost. Each relationship, when it ends, really damages me. I never fully recover. That's why I'm very careful with getting involved, because it hurts too much. Even getting late, <laughs> I actually don't do that. because I will miss out the and the most mundane things. Like, I'm obsessed with little things. Maybe I'm crazy. When... when I was a little girl, my mom told me that I was always late to school. One day, she followed me to see why. I was looking at... Chestnuts falling from the trees, rolling on the sidewalk, or ants crossing the road, the way a leaf casts a shadow on a tree trunk. Little things. I think it's the same with people. I see in them little details, so specific to each of them, that move me and that I miss and will always miss. You can never replace anyone because everyone is made of such beautiful, specific details. Like I remember the way your beard has a bit of red in it, and how the sun was making it glow that that morning right before you left. I remember that. and I missed it.
1: Mmm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, With the waves Thoughts. in the background. Oh, I love that. I. Th- I. That's what I try to do. Like again perhaps some things I've read or films that I've seen about like this taking time to notice the things around you, small things, those little details, you know, that's where beauty is and magic and things like that.
0: I totally agree with her that people are irreplaceable and everyone's made up these beautiful details, but Mm -hmm. I cannot say that I'm, I have moved on sometimes shockingly from Mm -hmm. some people like Mm -hmm. almost like our time was like done you know like Mm -hmm. i'd resolved it and our time was done there are other people that i'll always remember certain things right but like it doesn't seem to have much logic to it Mm -hmm. sometimes i feel bad about not remembering things but then i'm like oh who
1: cares like right
0: like they're probably not
1: sitting around remembering me either so (laughs) Mm. but isn't that funny like you think oh you know I've had people say, Oh, that one time you said that amazing thing and I've never forgotten. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, like yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. remember it, you know? And vice versa. So Zoe, what were you gonna say?
2: No, I, I feel the same way, Jen. And I wonder if it's because like I've always been the breaker upper. Like no I, I'm always the one that ends a relationship and I and so maybe it's because I just like it's really done, done for me by the mm-hmm. time it's done. Mm.
0: I've been a little of both so I don't know if it even relates to that I just feel like there's mm-hmm. certain people like we've somehow Fulfilled our purpose for each other Maybe I don't know
2: Yeah,
1: If such a thing exists
0: <laughs> well, so, after, Yeah okay.
1: after Go that ahead. Isn't that where Jesse says Now I know for sure You know you want to know yeah. why I wrote that stupid book And she says why And he, he says so that you might come to a reading in Paris And I could walk up to you and ask you Where the fuck were you I yeah. wrote it in a way to try to find you.
0: <laughs> yep. And this and is I where things start true. getting intense. This is mm-hmm. where things, cause like she hears it and like, you see her be like, she's freaked out. She's starting to freak out. She's starting to get like, oh my God. And then he goes like, oh God, like he's groaning. Why weren't you there in Vienna? And like, for me, that moment is the moment where he is deciding to leave his wife, for me. Like, maybe he goes back mm. and forth a few times for the rest of the movie. But for me, I think that groan mm. is him being like, great, now I'm going to have to get a divorce.
3: <laughs> totally. To it,
0: it doesn't seem like he's given up to me. I'm being mislead. To me, I'm thinking right there, he's like, shit.
2: Absolutely <laughs> agree. <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, like, it's like the groan of like, like my life is gonna have to blow up now and there's yeah. just you know like mm. I'm not I'm not just gonna like yeah 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 yep. there's no getting out of this one
0: <laughs> yeah it's like if you meet somebody like that you clearly you're supposed to be with but you're already with somebody else and you're like shit why didn't I meet you three years ago <laughs> it's kind of like that similar mm. energy yeah and Celine's just kind of trying to respond to him him his energy about like why didn't things work out better before why didn't we keep in touch and like she's like well the past is the past it was meant to be that way and they have their little fate versus free will kind of discussion and like Celine says there's no point thinking about it things were always supposed to be this way and then Jesse said, but no, things felt off to me. And I totally know what he's saying. Like sometimes mm-hmm, like
3: mm-hmm. things
0: will in my life will suddenly feel like they're off, like I'm off the track. Right. And other times in my life, I've been like, things are entirely on the track. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So like, it's almost acknowledging there's a track, but it seems like that's like a paradox. Like how can there be a fate and free will at the same time? I don't know.
1: Well, you know, we skipped it, but it was important because this always this is what resonated me a lot when I first saw it was, you know, he's like, why didn't we exchange phone numbers and things like that? And she goes, I guess we were, you know, we we were young and stupid. And you don't you believe that you there will be many people that you'll connect with. And later in Uh, life, you realize it only happens a few times. Agree or disagree? Totally,
2: totally agree with that. For me, that is completely true. And. I feel like now now that I've come to that conclusion, not not from watching this movie, but just, you know, from life experience, um, I, I'm not going to let those people go. So they better be prepared <laughs> for that. <laughs> mm.
0: I don't know. For me, like, I think maybe there's only a few people I would call like soulmates that I meet in a lifetime, but like I can find many people to connect with. Like, I pr- I'm pretty mm. good at that. Like, if I put energy into it, I'm sure I could find like five people right now that I connect with in this town that I don't know right now. Like Within like a few months, probably. But like, okay. um, even romantically, if I wanted to, I'm sure I could, but they might not be soulmates. So I I'm defining it as soulmates in my okay. mind. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that that like strong connection where you, that they're experiencing where it's like you must be with yeah, this person yeah. in in one way or another. Like like you gotta groan because your life has changed forever now. Like that, mm. I feel like that does happen, and it doesn't happen that often.
0: But I feel like it could happen more often, except a lot of people are already busy with a, an existing soulmate. You know what I mean? And so you're mm. not tuned. So you're not tuned to looking for other soulmates at that time, hmm. right? You're you're you like you got yours, you're good. <laughs> mm, that is not my experience. Okay, okay. I I just think that like maybe if like I wasn't already like chilling with Lee, like maybe I'd be somewhere else and there'd be some other person that catch my eye and like
1: we'd really connect. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, um, I I just remember being affected by that when I watched it the first time. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Take a tip. Take a tip here. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is they're telling me something about life. Okay. So, well, it's I, hear,
0: it's, it's, it's I will not argue at all with cherishing the relationships you have and trying to hang on to people. I will not argue with that at all.
2: I love the idea of watching this in your 20s and being able to recognize that as advice versus like watching <laughs> it in my 30s and being like, "Yes, that rings true with my past experience." That's that's really uh-huh. interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, oh, I was married oh. a year later after this, so oh, wow, you know, perhaps without, you know, thinking about it all the time that, you know, yeah, this film had influence on my don't let those moments pass. Who knows?
0: Yeah. So one thing I did want to mention is Jesse said that he like when he was saying that it felt off, um, mm-hmm. his life felt off track. He talks about how um, he was in New York right before his wedding. And on his way to his wedding, he was thinking about that he saw Celine in New, in New York. Like, he-, he thought he saw her going into this deli. And then she goes to him, I live, like, two blocks from that deli. You might have yeah. seen me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm yeah. like, ah. Oh. Like, oh. So, like. If if fate existed, why would fate make this situation where, like, they were so close and so far away? I don't know. Or, like, could there have been a different timeline where he's like, I really need to stop at this deli for a minute, you know? And, like, the whole thing would have gone differently. I just, like, found that fascinating.
2: But, like, what – so, okay, what what part of it is fated, though? Because – they did get back, like they did find each other. So yeah. maybe okay, they didn't find each other in the deli. All right, fate's gonna try again to throw them together until they finally yeah. get it. You know, just just because it didn't happen at that exact moment doesn't mean that
1: it's still not faded. Sure. I guess sure. So where <laughs> yeah, yeah. what were we saying about like? Oh, he's on his way to his own wedding, and he's thinking mm-hmm. about Celine, and he thinks he sees her, and he probably did because she lived right around the corner from there and you know he's talking about his relationship with his wife so they were on again off again and they were kind of on and when when she got pregnant and so they married and at the time he thought he was making commitment was what mattered and he had this idea of his best self and I wanted to pursue that even if I might have been overriding my honest self and I that's key right there. Um, you know, taking it a, a, a touch off from there, but like doing things that I think that I was supposed to do, you know, Oh, this will make me cool. This will make me look smart. This is the right thing and the proper thing to do, even though like my true honest self isn't really happy and satisfied. Yeah. I, like- and I can relate that in so
0: many different ways. For, for in terms of love, I think I've always been very good about using my honest self. You know, I've, I've done things that like people might not even approve of sometimes to just follow what I believe is true. But, um. It's been really hard for me in terms of career. Like um mm. it might not look like that. Honestly, I think I handicapped myself so many times in my life trying to be more imp- like having this idea that the thing I wanted to do wasn't impressive enough or mm-hmm. wasn't helpful enough or useful enough. And then I just ended up being paralyzed and not doing any of them, right? Mm-hmm. And this podcast like I think is one of the first expressions of like my honest self. Like I want to talk about movies. I want to take like Mm. romantic comedies and be excited about that. I don't need to save the fucking world. Okay. But like, Mm. I think I grew up with this idea that I was supposed to be like a politician or, you know, Mm. some serious Mm -hmm. thing and and be thinking about serious things all the time. And like, honestly, I don't think I want to like, and Mm -hmm. it took me forever to get to that point. So. Yeah. yeah. But I can't understand doing it with love. I was never able to do it with love for whatever reason. Like I would never have like married somebody out of duty or just cause I respected and trusted and admired him. Like like they talk about Jesse with his yeah. wife and of course he got her pregnant. So that's another, you know, can of worms altogether, but yeah. But yeah, I don't know if that yeah. results in anything good. Right. If you like get together with someone cause you're trying to be
1: good. Right. No, but yeah, I would recommend not. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was the the right thing to do. And because he says, you know, cut to the present. And I feel like I'm running a small nursery with somebody I used to date. That's, so sad.
0: <laughs> That's such a good line, though.
1: It's such it a is good a good line. line. I
0: but, I, but I feel like even couples who are like really in love with each other could end up in that feeling at some time having kids. Because that seems like such a hard, you know, experience, like where your priorities will change. Right. So you I hope you would have some passion to, to coast on, you know. If you're going, to,
3: <laughs> I haven't been in that experience, yeah.
0: but so many married people I know have said like, yeah, you have kids it will change your dynamic. Even if you're like super in love, I'm going to say,
1: yes. I don't know about Zoe's experience. Oh, Who has two kids and you homeschool. Wow. Yeah. And, and they're like, they're 16 months apart. So, oh.
2: but, but we did that on purpose. Cause it was like, yeah. okay, I wanted to have two kids and it mm-hmm. was like really tough to have a, have a baby. And so I was like, if we're going to do this again, let's just do it and get it all out of the way. And I mean that in a loving way. Like I I cherished my time with my tiny babies, but it was like a huge life disruption. And I didn't really want to like keep going through that over and over again um, to have multiple children spaced far apart. Yeah, and like then, then the family itself like becomes a thing. Like it's mm-hmm. a different thing. It's like mm-hmm. you have your spouse, but then there's also like your family together, and like that has a different kind of love, which is a wonderful thing too. I mean, I yeah. think it's a, I think it's like an added bonus if you have a happy, if you have a happy life and you know a happy family. Um, but it definitely yeah. is like another, almost another relationship dynamic to juggle, as well. Yeah.
1: I, I think, you know, yes, it can feel like you're running, you know, a nursery or whatever. But like it, if you not just respect, trust and admire, but like you like your partner mm. and you guys are friends, too, like, you know, you know how to like have a laugh and you know how to and he talks about that later. There's no laughter
4: mm. in, in my
1: home. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that make, that's really sad. And that that isn't uh you can you can kind of you can feel for jesse i guess yeah Yeah. i'm trying to say there
2: he says no laughter and no joy which is like a heartbreaking thing to say yeah
1: Yeah.
2: you know like sex is definitely part of like spousal joy right but like right it's not the only thing and if you have nothing else oh oh that's that sounds hard yeah, and that's the moment when he
0: says there's no laughter, no joy. That's the moment in the car where like they're in the car later and Celine almost touches him while he's looking away, but doesn't and pulls back. <laughs>
3: Cause like yeah. she
0: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um yeah, so he brings up too that he's not having sex at that point. And he says, I feel like if somebody were to touch me, I would dissolve into molecules. And that line will be called up later. And yeah. um Yeah, and and yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I guess I would say to that like you know, it's not because he talks about it later. You know, they're talking as they as they're coming out of the car and she's like, you know, it's inevitable the passion will diminish and and there's children and this and that. And, and he's like, it's it's not all about sex. That seems to me just like intimacy, mm-hmm. you know, it's different and yeah. just like affection. Um,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the car ride scene we're going to move on to that is one of my mm-hmm. favorite scenes. So Jesse convinces Celine to take a ride to her house in the car and I think he's already trying to get invited into her house at this point. Mm.
2: <laughs> That's oh, totally. like I feel like he there's no question like he knows he's missing that plane at this oh, point. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, he's yeah. he is committed here even if yeah. she doesn't know it yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, cuz this car ride ends up being like kind of like Celine's breakdown. Like I think it's such a brilliant fucking scene because um she starts out with this very like guarded thing. Like, like it's better that I don't romanticize things now. Like I Mm. like the way I am, but then she starts like breaking down and like, there's, I have a clip of, of this. I don't know if she says this line in the clip. So I'm going to say it right now. She's like, I was fine until I read your fucking book. And so I just want to play a clip of, um, Celine
4: having her breakdown in the car. I don't believe in anything that relates to love. I don't feel things for people anymore. In a way, I put all my romanticism into that one night, and I was never able to feel all of this again. Like, somehow this night took things away from me, and I expressed them to you, and you took them with you. It made me feel cold, like if love wasn't for me. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You know what? Reality and love are almost contradictory for me. It's funny. Every single of my exes, then they're married. Men go out with me, we break up, and then they get married. <laughs> And later they called me to thank me for teaching them what love is and that I taught them to care and respect women. I think I'm one of those guys. You know, I want to kill them. Why didn't they ask me to marry them? I would have said no, but at least they could have asked. But it's my fault. I know it's my fault because I never felt it was the right man. Never. But what does it mean, the right man, the love of your life? The concept is absurd. The idea that we can only be complete with another person is evil, right? You know, I guess I've been heartbroken too many times and then I recovered. So now, you know, from the starts, I make mean, no because I know it's not going to oh, work out. I that. know it's you, not going to work out. You can't do out. that. You can't live your life trying to avoid pain and okay. expensive pain. Okay. You know what? Lose hours. I've got to. I've got to get away from you. Stop the car. I want to no, get out. No, 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 no. no, no don't, don't, you know don't,
3: don't,
0: don't get it's out. Keep talking. It's being around
4: you. Okay. Hey, no, hey. don't touch hey. me. You know, I want to get on a cab. Monsieur, Monsieur. arrêtez-vous. Non, non, Monsieur. No, no, c'est bon. Au feu, là. Non, 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 Just a few points. No, there's a metro. No, I'm just so no, happy. Thank you. Just keep going. All right. I'm just so happy, all right, to be with you. I am. I'm so glad you didn't forget about me. Okay? No, I didn't. And this is enough, okay? You come here to Paris, all romantic and married. Okay? Screw you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to get you or anything. I mean, all I need is a married man. There's been so much water under the bridge, it's, it's not even about you anymore, it's about that time, that moment in time that is forever gone, I don't know. You, you say all that, but you didn't even remember having sex. So. Of course I remember. You did? Yes. Women pretend things like that, I don't know. They do? Yeah, what was I supposed to say? That I remember the wine in the park and us looking up at the stars fading away as the sun came up. We had sex twice, you idiot! <laughs>
0: I fucking love that, just that section, because I feel mm-hmm. like in that one section of dialogue, she has gone from her defenses completely up to her defenses totally down. And she's gone through this like crucible of emotions on the way there. Yeah. And I'm like, damn. Like, that performance and that dialogue was like, ah, it does so much at once. Anyway.
1: Mm. I'm just like still moved by his uh... <laughs> oh. oh. We can go on because I don't know what more to add.
0: So she breaks down, she gets vulnerable, and then he gets even more vulnerable. Like her vulnerability touches off another pile of vulnerability from him. And he admits how bad his marriage is. I always tried counseling and candles and self-help and lingerie and um, basically admits the staying with his wife for the kid. And then he says, like you guys were saying, there's no joy or laughter in my home. And then he says this. I don't want to be one of those people who are getting divorced at 52, admitting that they never really loved their spouse. I want a great life. I want her to have a great life. He is already doing the narrative that he's going to use to break up with his wife right there in Mm -hmm, the cab mm -hmm. or not the cab, the the car. I'm just like, what? (laughs) It's the kind of thing people say, though. It's so realistic, right? It's like he's doing his self-justification out loud. And then, um, and then he t- tells Celine that he's had dreams about her, like where she's going by on the train, and he wakes up sweating, and he dreams that she's pregnant in bed, naked next to him. And then he wakes up crying. And then this, like Celine is like almost touching him and doesn't. And ah, And then they, when they get out of the car in front of her apartment building, Celine goes in to hug him. And she says, "I want to see if you stay together or if you dissolve into molecules." Kind of calling that back, and like the look on his face—oh my god! Like he looks like he's dissolving into molecules, kind of.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: All of this is like heart stab after heart stab. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know. It d- <laughs> For some reason, the dream, like the fact that he dreams about her, it just like kills me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. I I have like a really lifelong soft spot for like unrequited love stories yeah and i i know this one like becomes requited but like that particular like piece of it just oh it just hits my romance buttons (laughs) yeah (laughs) so they get out at her
0: apartment he's gonna walk her to the door sure (laughs) <laughs> and then he meets che the cat a, a rom-com cat well i don't know it's a rom-drom but i could not find any information about the cat i was really sad because like i like to know where the cats come from um later in one of her other movies delpy uses one of her own cats so i wonder maybe it could have been hers or her parents but i don't know was not confirmed or denied and you see julie delpy's parents here. her mom's coming out of the apartment building and her dad is grilling in the courtyard so that's kind of cool
3: yeah
0: and link lee pointed out to me um when we were watching it when they're walking up to the apartment, they're not talking to each other. They're quiet. And like, he didn't say this part, but like, it looks like they're still like they're trying to uphold this pretense that he's not going to miss his flight. That nothing's really going on here. Like <laughs> like like they're trying to get away with something by not talking about it. You know, mm-hmm. hiding it from themselves what they're about to do. And like Lee pointed that out to me though. That they're so quiet. I think he might have said some of the stuff about trying to get away with something too. But yeah, mm-hmm. I really it's very notable because they're talking all the time usually.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, he's pretty quiet. Like for a good stretch here too hmm. after he kind of like makes his like marriage confession, dream confession thing. Sure. Like she's talking about the cat and she's showing him around and then you know, to, not to jump ahead too far, oh. but like even when she's talking about the music, you know, like yeah. she sings and she's like, it's almost like awkward. It almost oh, has really? like an awkward feeling to me. Yeah. Because like, usually they're just like, bantering so much and like she seems to be the one that keeps coming back to to talking i don't know <sighs> i mean i think that when she's talking about the cat it's like totally dorky yeah <laughs> yeah i mean he doesn't really talk a whole lot for the rest of the movie does he that's true that's true and But he's like he
0: smiling asked- at her and looking at her the whole time he feels oh, loud wow. to me.
2: his presence Absolutely. is loud his presence is for sure loud, but it's like his decision is made. It's done. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else for him to say. And yeah. it's almost mm-hmm. like she – that's maybe why it feels awkward to me is like she keeps putting more words like in between the inevitability of what is going to yeah. happen.
0: Yeah. So just to get us into the scene, um, so when she comes up to her apartment, it's the first time you see one of them in the other person's real life space, right? Mm-hmm. And he gets to see her pictures and her grandmas and the picture and like her music collection, her decoration. And then um he gets her to sing one of her songs and she's like, Oh, I have a couple songs, this one, this one, this one. And then she sings the one that's about him, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the way she says the name of the song, like she kind of wants him to choose it. And it's called a waltz <laughs> for it's called a waltz for a night. And um, some of the lyrics from that, I just wanted another try. I just wanted another night, even if it doesn't seem quite right. You meant for me much more than anyone I've met before. One single night with you, little Jesse, which I think is funny. Little Jesse is worth a thousand with anybody. I'll never forget this one night thing. Even tomorrow in other arms, my heart will stay yours until I die. Pretty intense.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) They both made art from that night they both wrote about it in some way you know yeah that
2: stood out to me too that's that's pretty big
3: Mm.
0: and that song ends up being like the closest thing the movie has to like a proclamation of love really like like that you'll have in rom-coms mostly like like i needed you to know that i love you so much and i was wrong (laughs) (laughs) you're
1: the one you're the one yeah yeah yeah.
0: And um, let's see. Oh, and there's a callback to Sunrise, too, because Jesse asks her if she just inserts random guys' names into the song. Yeah. <laughs> like it references back to that poet scene where like, dude, like he just <laughs> fills in that word into different poems. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was cool. And now I want to say now that apparently the Nina Simone scene that follows where the monologue about Nina Simone was Delpy's idea, like she was going to use it for another movie, but she thought it would work so well in this movie that they put it in here. And I think... I. I think it's great. It's one of the best ending scenes in any, anything. Right. So Mm -hmm. like Jesse puts on the Nina Simone song, just in time, thematically fucking perfect. And um, the lyrics from that just in time, you found me just in time. Before you came, my time was running low. I was lost. Them losing dice were tossed. My bridges all were crossed. Nowhere to go. Now you're here. Now I know just where I'm going. No more doubt or fear. I found my way. Your love came just in time. You found me just in time, and changed my lonely nights. That lucky day, ah,
3: love it, <laughs> <laughs>
0: love it. Well, I love Nina and Simone t- and anyway. time too. It's referencing time, time, also, which these oh, movies yeah. are
2: obsessed with, right? Like, yeah. Oh. oh, and I have to say, I couldn't believe how short this movie felt to me. Mm. Like, it I just—I I don't know if it's because it's in real time, but I was just like, wow, that just. know it it was a i have a problem with movies i don't watch them often because it feels like it's going to take a lot of time and effort and energy you know um but this one just was like felt very quick to me so during this sequence
0: um julie delpy is acting like she's nina simone like demonstrating what it was like to see her concert that she went to see and the whole time jesse's just looking at her and smiling and like, there's looking some... at
2: her like he wants to eat her.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And like, but she's doing these little dances and walks and facial expressions. Anyway, I just wanted to put that in because you can't see it on the podcast. But I just wanted to play because it it's fucking perfection.
5: <sighs> she was so funny in concert. She, she would, uh, she would be right in the middle of a song and then, you know, stop and, and uh, and walk from the piano all the way to the edge of the stage like really slowly. She'd start talking to someone in the audience. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love you too. <laughs> and then she'd walk back, took her time, no hurry, you know. She had that big, cute ass. <laughs> she would move. Ooh. <laughs> and then she would uh, go back to the piano and play some more. You know. <laughs> and then she would. Uh, I don't know, just
5: start another song in the middle of another, you know, like stop again and
4: be like, oh, you over there. Can you move that sound? Uh huh. Oh, you're cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh. Oh yeah.
4: <laughs> Baby, you are going to miss that plane. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is, like, my favorite ending (sighs) now, I think. I think that's now my favorite ending of any movie. At least it's my favorite ending dialogue,
2: if nothing else. Just Mm. kills me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: Baby, you are going to miss that plane. And, like, even, like, when she's saying that dialogue, she's not even saying it as herself. She's using kind of the Nina Simone impersonation to, like allow herself to talk about what's going on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting remove that she's put there. Like the there's telephone, a- like the telephone game they play in the first movie to reveal oh, their feeling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's like this like uh putting a yeah, putting a something a protective device up almost.
1: You know, and there was an interesting shot. It felt weird to me cuz all of a sudden it was this full shot not quite a pov from jesse but sort of and it's it's you know Celine in her space in her apartment being silly listening to her favorite song and you know she was making tea for them and i to me it felt like one of those moments you know that jesse talks about like he's seeing the whole moment and doing kind of one of those picture things that they did in the first one, you know, mm. where just mm. taking all of this in. and, and uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm just going to say it now, like, uh, you know, deciding he wants to be in that, you know, um, mm. which he's already long decided. And, and as he says, I know he's playing with his wedding ring. Ah! Oh, That's I didn't so... even notice
0: that. So I'm, um, I just want to say, I love how this movie portrays sexual tension And getting together, I think is the most realistic portrayal of that I've ever seen on screen. Because like, I like what A.O. Scott said in the New York Times about the writing in particular, um, how they don't come out and say what they're thinking necessarily, um, how they evade what the truth is in many different ways. He says language I think Ao he. anyway he says language after all is not just about points and meanings it is a medium of communication yes but also of avoidance misdirection self-protection and plain confusion all of which are among the themes of this movie which captures a deep truth seldom acknowledged on screen or in books
4: and mm. yeah that I, that's I think so that's good. what's.
0: I think that's what's so brilliant about this writing is like you're getting to the point where they're they've developed intimacy without really coming without really ever saying anything obvious about it other than that song. I don't know. Well, I guess he talks about his dreams too, but he's not like, I would like to sleep with you right now.
1: <laughs> Cause like, well, I so don't know, like, sort of, he's like, Hey, can we find that? But you know, here's a bench and I want to see. I, you I, I know. But it, but it's
0: not like, um, can I come up to your apartment and sleep with you? Cause like very, very right. I don't, maybe today people do that, but not in my dating life. Really. It's also not,
2: Hot at all? Like way to kill the moment. Like <laughs> yeah, you, 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 know, like all of this. Like I, yeah, I was going to sne- go somewhere with st- like consent, but <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm no, gonna no, lie. I know, I know,
0: I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Like en- enthusiastic consent, like, and I think enthusiastic consent has like a good, you know, value on some level, but I think it's not very representative of the way people usually get together which is kind of like sidling up to each other a little bit and feeling each other out and like they don't want to be hurt you know they don't want to come right out and be rejected so everyone's always kind of sidling up to each other like that i think i think that's what the movie captures yeah yeah and um the body language too like we've talked about jesse's ridiculous eye contact but they're like often moving a little closer to each other and on the boat scene i noticed that Celine would sometimes move farther from him Like he'd be talking about something
2: really intimate and she'd be like, Oh my God, I got to get away. So I thought that was so well done too. Okay. So you mentioned that you thought you could watch the movie without the sound and still understand what's going on because of their body language. Not everything, but something. Yeah. But do you think you could listen to the dialogue without seeing their body language and, and really get, Hmm. get as much out of it?
0: Yes. Yes. Also. Yeah. Mm. But, but, But I've I've rarely been impressed though so impressed though by how people portray attraction. Like if you read things about like body language that indicates attraction, they are doing so many of those things. And I don't know if they're conscious of it or if they come to it through more like method, like getting into character, or if they were consciously putting those gestures in, but they're there. Yeah, like touching the face or having your legs apart if you're a man. Those are like certain things. Facing each other, like a lot of that stuff was there.
2: So. Yeah. I mean, I'm a really terrible actor, but it, it seems to me like it's so it would be so hard to fake that level of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Not that that means that they need to like end up together, but <laughs> like, chemistry wise, I, have, yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't understand how to fake that.
0: <laughs> I think you can also be temporarily in love with someone if you act with them, like if you're acting a love scene, like, like mm. get a little bit of that. But yeah, I don't think Hawk and Delby ever were, but yeah. So um, moving on to the theme of infidelity. So this movie like, is a, basically a love story about a dude who's about to cheat on his wife and probably end his marriage. <laughs> so it's not just like a movie about two young people, unencumbered people falling in love. There's a shitload at stake here. And like, mm-hmm. even, even where you might normally sympathize with the wife, right? Like, I don't mm. I don't remember ever giving her a second thought in this movie, like, which maybe I should feel bad, but I don't like I, I feel like these people have to be together. I don't know. Did you guys give a
1: second thought to this wife or like? Uh, No, no. I, I thought about his son because he talks about sure. That, oh, yeah. Where he's like, yeah. I, you know, I I want to be every minute with this this little person. I don't want to miss any of that. Um. So I mm. that's where my mind went. I
2: guess. If it were, so I think that that's maybe not quite the way I see it, not really quite about the decision to cheat. Because I guess if it was just going to be like, oh, he's going to sleep with her and then go Mm -hmm. home to his wife. Mm -hmm. Sure. That would mm-hmm. feel totally different. This is more about the decision to like blow up your life for somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That those are two mm-hmm. different things to me. And I think but the, but the blowing up involves cheating. So <laughs> It doesn't inv- it does involve cheating, but it's not quite the same as like yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to cheat and sneak around and like get away with something, sure, you know. Sure, it's sure. about like this is a crossroads of your life and like yeah. where is it going to go from here? And like
1: sure. So it's
2: just it seems like a different question to me
1: in a way. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I think I think that's a very good distinction, and let's not forget, um, Celine is cheating on her boyfriend. She has yeah. a boyfriend. You I know, just, in my mind, his her boyfriend just seems like he's like probably kind of like
0: removed. That's in my I, maybe it's unfair, but like just the way she talks about him, it seems so like sterile. Absolutely
1: almost. true. I, yeah. I'm totally with you. I completely forgot that she had a boyfriend until she said, yeah. it. In the, "I'm like, oh wow, <laughs> I forgot about that part." But it's it's there. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Also, I mean, yeah, boyfriend's less serious than wife with a kid. So yeah, I guess that's the other reason, but yeah. Yes. So so one thing I thought was kind of funny was like Ethan Hawke told Elle magazine that he was extremely, secretly, extremely proud that in Before Sunset, you root for a married guy to cheat on his wife. He said, quote, we live in an absolutely Victorian age. Everybody wants to believe you fall in love and monogamy is no longer an issue. The bottom line is our species is not monogamous. Go talk to a doctor, he said. In <laughs> <laughs> and like Zoe's probably, and I don't know, Sophia, I don't know if you know this about me, but Zoe's probably not surprised that I don't think that everybody is built for monogamy. I like, I've had like an open relationship for since 2003 like it's not very active anymore. Like I'm just kind of like in a dormant mood for a while, but like, I really don't think monogamy is for me. Like I just feels very like stifling to me and like unrealistic, like, and even just having the ability to talk to other guys, like, like gives me this kind of like, ironically makes me closer to Lee. I don't know why that is, but yeah. And that's, but because I wasn't Like, because in my first marriage, we were polyamorous. That's how I was even able to get together with Lee in the first place. Like, Mm. yeah. So I blew up my first marriage though, even though I could have just been with both of them. But like, I realized through the polyamory that I didn't want to be with my first husband anymore, which was, was kind of harsh at the time. And that was part of the stuff that was on my live journal that, you know, I I kind of closed down, but like, interestingly though, in that magic year of 2004, it was a crossroad for both me and my first husband. And like, um, they, they go by they now, um, they are still with the same person that they met that year too. Mm-hmm. So that year we broke apart mm-hmm. our marriage. We both are still with the person we met from that blow up and kind of cool. I don't know. But like, do you, what are your guys thoughts on like this monogamy being unrealistic that Ethan Hawke believes and that? And then I believe for some people, I think some people are monogamous. Like Lee is very monogamous. He just mm-hmm. doesn't seem to want to go off after anybody else ever.
1: I think, well, I think I know Greg and I came into this on our own wanting monogamy and then definitely monogamous this whole time. So that's been our jam. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and it doesn't feel like a
0: struggle or a commitment. It just feels natural kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I believe some people that's totally like the way they are too.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I just think people, people are complicated and, Mm -hmm. and hearts are complicated. That's all I have to say.
0: (laughs) I just like, I think Hawk is being very like proselytizing the other way, right? Like, some people will be proselytizing, you have to be monogamous, and that's the only way to Mm. have a good relationship. And now here he is, and he's doing the opposite, like, nobody's (laughs) monogamous. And I don't think the truth is in either of those places. I think it's like with your sexual orientation, you might be one end or the other of a Kinsey scale, you know, on how Mm. you feel about monogamy. Anyway.
2: Yeah, what does he mean go talk to a doctor? Like I don't know. Like people have a problem
0: <laughs> or something. I don't know. Or maybe he's maybe. saying that it's medical science or something or like the, the the statistics actually bear out that most people cheat, even people who claim to be monogamous. Like it's actually a minority of married couples who have never cheated on each other. Amazing. Oh, I
2: I think that I don't think that's true. Well,
0: they've done a lot of surveys about this over the year and like I know, but I've and, read and people- some <laughs>
2: oh yeah let's put you, some in the show notes let's see what we come up all with. right
0: all right but i'm I'm just saying like i think like people you may be an extraordinary person is what i'm saying like you know i don't think a lot of married couples treat each other very well to be honest like and i oh, think you well, guys may be extraordinary
2: yeah. yeah i think i think a lot of people are like phenomenally unhappy mm-hmm. um or have like skewed expectations of what marriage is supposed to be yeah, I don't know. That makes me that makes me sound like very arrogant, and I'm like I'm not an, I'm not a marriage expert. I have I have failed at one. Um, I think so sometimes not, failing at one teaches you how to succeed at the next one, though. You know, I, that's probably very true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, this is the travel series. Still, I will put a link to the, the locations in the movie in the show notes if you want to go and seek them out more specifically, including some of the streets. Um, uh, came across some of Julie Delpy's Paris travel recommendations. So I thought I'd throw a couple out really quick and I'll put a link to that article as well. So she recommends the Gustave Moreau Museum, which I've also been to. It is an awesome museum of the symbolist artist Gustave Moreau. And it was also his home. And the, his paintings, his canvases, a 100% worth seeing in person. So mm. I totally recommend that. And then she also recommends the Centre Pompidou, which I never visited, which is the modern and contemporary art museum, which has like Kandinsky, Duchamp, Otto Dix, Frida Kahlo, Chagall, Matisse, Léger, like everything. And then her final recommendation is Luxembourg Gardens, which I guess goes all the way back to 1611 when Marie de Medici built a palace there and, and arranged some gardens. And then over the years, it's gone through many changes. It's just a pretty park with like, tree-lined promenades and flower beds, and mo- they do model sailboats there. So that's pretty cool.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I took a tri- trip to Paris in 2015, which was like my dream trip, like nine days in Paris. Um, we went to the Musée d'Orsay. I think that's probably, if I had to pick only one place, that was would be where I'd recommend you go. Um, that famous museum, uh, it has stuff by Degas, Lautrec, Van Gogh, Manet. So Manet in particular, they have Le Déjeuner sur l'herbe, you know, where they have the naked women picnicking. I love that painting. And Olympia. And it's got Monet, all kinds of, you can't miss the Musée d'Orsay. And then uh, we also went to the organ concert. You can see at Saint-Sulpice. It's a very famous cathedral. And if you go to their Sunday mass, they have a really famous organ there. I found out about that through Rick Steves. Oh, yeah. I, I would also recommend Père Lachaise Cemetery, not just to see Jim Morrison's grave, but you can also see <laughs> Chopin, Delacroix, Gertrude Stein, Colette, like a ton of people. I couldn't get a picture with Chopin because there's a weird lady sitting there the whole time. Like she was in love with Chopin. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she was like the reincarnation of George Sand. I don't know. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> and I would also recommend to if you go to Versailles, I do think you should go to Versailles, but the castle is like the least good part because it's way too crowded. Um, the best part a lot of people don't go to is the Queen's hamlet or the hameau de la reine, which is like this fake peasant village Marie Antoinette had designed so she could pretend to be a common person and it's so cool they're like all these animals there. Lee and I came up with the idea that they're like historical reenactment animals like their job is to pretend that they're like from like Marie Antoinette's time and I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> And finally, I really want to recommend a restaurant where they have an accordion singer and you sing along on these song sheets to these French songs. It's called Le Vieux Belleville, and it's still open. Even through COVID, it's managed to keep in business. And I put a link to their business there. It's such a great place. And I'm a vegan. And even though they're not a vegan restaurant, I called ahead and they prepared a vegan meal for us. So that was
2: super awesome. Awesome. All right. So should we get to our double feature recommendations? Well, can I make a like oh, super yeah, yeah, nerdy? Yeah. My super nerdy Paris recommendation is Les Invalides, where Napoleon Napoleon's tomb is. I actually oh. really loved that when I was there. It's one of my highlight oh. memories of 20 years ago. So for nice. whatever that's worth, you can buy Napoleon's cologne there and, he, and it smelled really good. And I will oh. never forget that smell. <laughs> so
1: oh I highly really recommend. Gosh. <laughs> you should see my face my jaws (laughs) on the floor that's amazing that is amazing and i remember
2: like accidentally taking a nap like right in front of that of that building so it was just all around good memory that's my recommendation napoleon's cologne there you have (laughs) it wild that is so wild Love okay. It. So,
0: so now with that thought, we will go to our double feature recommendations. <laughs> so um, actually this time I want to do them like in blocks. Like I'll do mine, you do yours. So if you do yours, Zoe, how about that? Cause mine kind of go together. It'll just be, yeah. so um, my first two double feature recommendations are both written and directed and starring Julie Delpy. So these are completely her films. Two days in Paris. I've already mentioned with Adam Goldberg and two days in New York with Chris Rock. And they're just very similar vibes of like the talking, the dialogue being about relationships. They muse about different things that couples deal with and you get to see her hilarious parents. Oh my God. Her parents are so funny. I don't know. Like it's the highlight, almost the highlight of the movie. So um, just great works by Julie Delpy and she should be more appreciated, I think. And then my third recommendation is midnight in Paris. And I know a lot of people don't want to watch Woody Allen movies, but and that's your prerogative, but like, This is like one of the least Woody Allen Woody Allen movies anyway, because he's not in it, which like I don't think his acting generally adds a lot anyway. So I'm good with that. And like Owen Wilson brings his own flavor to the character. And it's such a cool story about like a guy who's like really nostalgic for the past. And then he ends up traveling back to the past in Paris and meeting all these great creators and like. I think what Adrian Brody plays Salvador Dali and stuff like that, like there's some really hilarious portrayals of these uh, historical writers and like the main character is a writer. And it's oh, it's we watched Midnight in Paris one night when we were in Paris and we were too tired after walking around all day. And It was such a weird experience. We're like, oh, my God, we walked there recently. <laughs> And and it's such an evocative movie. Like, it's really hard for me to watch, even because I just start missing Paris so much. So, And they also, I think, do a scene at Shakespeare and Company. So a lot of reasons to watch that movie.
1: Okay, so I put down Amélie. It's French and subtitled, and it's such a darling, whimsical film and romantic and a lot of, uh, you know, it's actually, I think, I think in some translations, it's Amelie and Montmartre, like, so it's around there. And, um, and I just kind of put that in there for a great romance and um, more France, more Paris, I guess. Um, and then I put The Age of Innocence for its, um, A, it's a beautiful film. And mm-hmm. we talked about Daniel Day-Lewis, Hey. Mm-hmm. Um and just for, well, you know, about those themes about, you know, doing your responsibility and, you know, love oh, and yeah. respect oh. and admiration. And yet, like,
0: your honest dr-
1: self versus your best self. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that love story and yeah. what, what you know, he goes through for that. So those themes. And uh, Juliet Naked, I think, is a I've couple I've seen years. that. Yeah. Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Uh, yeah. Ethan Hawk plays a kind of a burned out rock star named Tucker Crow, um, and he, there's a guy who is, has his own like little web group of people who are just obsessed with Tucker Crow and he has a whole room dedicated to this guy's career and pictures and all over the place and like to the point that he's like alienated his girlfriend. Um and yet uh and he posts he posts a blog and um and his girlfriend under an alias, you know, says like this is full of crap. <laughs> and Tucker Crow responds to her. And they form a relationship, and it's it's funny, and it's in uh, it's on the coast somewhere in the UK, which is very cool. Chris O'Dowd is in it. Um, oh, uh, Rose Bryn. Is that how you say your last name? No, I love I her; didn't. she's great. And it has um, kind of an ambiguous um, what's going to happen at the end with these people, and has that flavor. And just I, it was hard for me to watching that like i don't think i'm obsessed with ethan hawk to this degree <laughs> i do not have a room filled with old photographs and you know pictures of him i don't know all the trivia of his like like the way that this character is obsessed with tucker crow So oh, anyway fun times so
2: this is this is really hard for me to do because i'm just not i haven't seen that many movies um but these are the ones that came to mind for me. Uh, Lost in Translation, which mm-hmm. maybe is maybe that's too like obvious or trite. But I no. was thinking about the themes of like, and we did an episode on it, so good, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like the themes of like, a, you know that that kind of connection that you only find um, mm. a few times in your life, and the themes about like what is marriage and infidelity comes up in that movie as well. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the night, I think I I'm kind of laughing about this one. Dangerous liaisons. I love um, Dangerous liaisons. I love this movie too. I think it would make a really weird double feature. But but my mind made the connection, so we're going to go there. <laughs> and you know what? Uma Thurman's in that too. So that's oh like there we go. So we like get the the Uma Thurman divorcing. Yeah, Ethan Hawke connection. We've got France. We've got infidelity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so We can weave all those together in like a very bizarre soup. (laughs) And sexual tension. There's sexual tension. And lots of sexual tension. It's very true. And then, just to be silly, because I wanted to come up with a third thing, um, Julie Delpy is in actually two movies that have my name.
4: Oh, that's right! Killing Zoe
2: and My Zoe. I've seen neither of them, but but that's my other, that's my recommendation for myself. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. I forgot about that, killing Zoe. Yeah,
1: oh my, that is weird. <laughs> Can I go back and add one more? And I wanted to talk about it, like, in our conversation, then we moved on and I forgot, but now I remembered again. Is that allowed, Jen? Très rapidement, très rapidement. Oh yeah, absolutely, of course. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, the Bridges of Madison County. There's another story of, have you guys seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, uh, it's a married woman who meets this man, and they over a course of a couple of days, they you know fall in love, and it's the greatest love of her life, and, and and that's it. Um, so those themes again of that connection with someone, and then kind of your other life, your life that with your children and your family and yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right, and yet so- you root for that relationship, you know? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's
0: okay. All right. All right. So uh, next week we will be finishing the before trilogy with before midnight and keep your eyes out for that and be sure to uh, go to Apple podcast rate, review, subscribe, really Frequent listeners, please give us a review because I know you're out there listening every week. You, you comment on Facebook. So and um <laughs> and yeah, and you can always find us at everyromcom.com, send us feedback at feedback
1: at everyromcom.com.
0: And just thanks so much for listening.
1: Bye, everybody. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Definitely.
2: <laughs>